Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 898 with Chef Ben Smart. My job as a leader is not to, to write your menu or to, to staff your kitchen, but it's to, to support you and to remove barriers. And when you have those issues, like I can, you can bounce ideas off, you can share my network. Those are the things that I do, which are very, very far removed from what I ever thought I would be doing as a chef, to be totally transparent. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. With Margin Edge, you can track food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. And who likes data entry? No one. So you'll be thrilled to hear that there's no more data entry with Margin Edge. They will save your team hours and paperwork by automating your invoice processing with line item detail. Don't worry about tech integration either because Margin Edge allows you to seamlessly connect your POS and accounting systems and get a daily P&L. And on top of all of this, Margin Edge enables you to digitally manage your inventory and recipes. Plus, you can compare actual costs versus theoretical costs. Head to MarginEdge.com slash Unstoppable to sign up for a free demo. And when you use that link, you can try Margin Edge for free for 30 days. No contract, no setup fee. Plus, you'll get free unlimited training and support. That's MarginEdge.com slash Unstoppable. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Plate IQ card. With Plate IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. Today's episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy, a company you've been hearing me reference a lot on the show lately, and that's because they're awesome. And I want to make sure you know about some new e-learning courses they have available right now. Diageo Bar Academy is always free with tons of resources that can help you build your skills at your own pace and at any level. So these courses I'm talking about, like the two courses on beer category and Guinness Essentials, just in time for St. Patrick's Day, you'll learn all there is to know about Guinness history and heritage and how you can serve a beautiful, great quality, great tasting pint every time. Learn about different beer styles and even how to enhance your guest food experience with pairings. Or if your restaurant leans more towards the spirits, then make sure you take the interactive course on spirits and food pairings. Knowing what cocktails to recommend for different moments of your guest meal can elevate their dining experience and help you improve your check averages. To learn more about what Diageo Bar Academy has to offer to grow your career, visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and be sure to opt into the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. 
With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, executive chef and partner of Big Grove Brewery, Chef Ben Smart. My man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm feeling great. Dude, I'm feeling I, unstoppable. I am so excited for today's conversation, man. Uh, Savannah and Sam have said so much great things about you and just talking to other people in the community. Uh, we had you on the radar before Jack Piper called you out to be a guest. He reinforced <laughs> our intuition yesterday after talking to him. And I know this is going to be a good one, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Sure, sure. So my business partner, Doug, always likes to say, show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Mm. It's kind of like the same thing of like, uh, you know, who are the, that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time around. So choose wisely. It's so true. When did you know this? You know, I think it was kind of always intuitive. You know, I just wanted to surround myself with people that I aspired to be like, or uh, motivated me in some way or challenged me. So it's just kind of always through sports growing up and just music and anything. I just wanted to be around people who were great at something. Yeah. So I've been struggling with this because I, I, I agree 100%. You're the average of those you surround yourself with, but at the same time, you can't remember, you can't forget the people that you, you came up with, right? The, the people oh, from absolutely. back home. So how do you find that balance between your, your, your high school friends and the people that are going to help you move forward in your life? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, it, they both serve their purpose, right? I mean, uh, you got to honor the people that you came up with and what, where you've been. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean that you have to like shun them out of your life, right? You just have to continue to move forward. Everybody's got their own path. And, you know, I found mine in hospitality and food and that doesn't always align with the people that I came up with. So, you know, some of my best friends I met later on mm-hmm. because we shared such a passion for the industry and, and food and, and those kind of things. And so, you know, it's, I think that you can have them both. They don't. They can coexist. But if you have someone that's that's holding you back, you, sometimes you gotta let go. Yeah, right? we won't get into that. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Because I know you you went to culinary school, but you didn't go to culinary school straight out of high school. You, there was some time in between, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think you just start at the beginning. I, I went to the university, kind of did a traditional four year uh, schooling here at the University of Iowa. Yeah. And uh, I was always good at math and science. So I went uh, into geoscience of all things. So study of kind of earth processes and rocks, et cetera, tectonic plates. And um, throughout that, I was, always, I was always passionate about food. I always loved to cook at home. My, my dad cooked uh, for everything from scratch growing up. We didn't really go out to eat a lot. So I kind of always had that ingrained in me. And then, you know, it, as soon as I graduated and I realized, okay, I have to get a real job. Uh, and what does that really look like? That's when I really started thinking, okay, I'm not sure I'm fit for office life. I'm not sure I'm fit for this. And it's a common story, right? Um, and, and I just, I took the plunge. I remember having a conversation with my fiance at the time. And I said, I think I want to go back to culinary school. And, and she, she basically, I remember this very distinctly. She said, well, you know, we're never going to see each other, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you said go back to culinary school? Was there go a back to, no, go back, back to, to school, to school for, culinary. for culinary. Correct. Yep. So um, during this time in culinary school, were there any key mentors, any people that really help influence you in your path forward that you can reflect on? Yeah. I mean, I think that the culinary school program at Kirkwood specifically is an amazing school. Uh, David Horsfield is their department chair. We're great friends to this day. Um, Melanie Ewald was one of our instructors who, who I showed me a million things and I was just really inspired by. Um, but I remember even back at that time, I, I don't know where I got it. I think I remember I grew up watching great chefs, great cities. You remember that show? Uh, no, I it, don't, it was I've on, heard of it before. It was on PBS. It was like an old school PBS show. And I watched it as a kid. 
I, I remember distinctly like being in elementary school and instead of throwing on cartoons, I would turn on PBS and you'd see like the, the European chefs with like the big white yeah. tall toques and the shining like stainless steel. And I think I was always just kind of inspired by that. And so there was always just kind of something back there, kind of an itch to be scratched or something. And, and when I finally realized I had to make a real step for a career, I couldn't just be in school anymore. Um, that's when I knew I wanted to make a change and, and go, go pursue my passion. Yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on, um, I, before I say this, what are your thoughts on going to school before going to work in the restaurant industry? If you want to be a chef, do you think more people should go to school first or do you think more people should just get to work? I mean, I, I think you could do it both ways. I don't think yeah. there's one route. I think it depends on where you're at in your life. And I also think it depends on what opportunities are in front of you. Um, I, I see a lot of people who uh, work up and through our kitchens and they wonder, should I go back to culinary school? And, and I tell them, hey, culinary school is great. It's going to give you a really good base level for a lot of different things in a really quick amount of time. Um, it's not the end all be all. Uh, I went there. It worked for me. But you kind of get in what you put, you get out what you put into yeah. it. Um, but if you can find yourself a good mentor or a good couple mentors and work in, in some solid restaurants, you're, you're going to learn every bit as much as you yeah. would in culinary, culinary school is going to give you a really good, like broad knowledge. Yeah. I was going to commend you on choosing a community college, say going to, uh, like CIA. Like, yeah. I feel like so many people feel like, I don't know if the, the, the quality of culinary school truly matters as much as it matters just to go get some direction from somebody locally. You know, what are your thoughts on what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't also thinking about the CIA <laughs> yeah. or I, I was actually really, really close to the California Culinary Academy. Yeah. But the reality is, is you, like I said, you will get out what you put in and you don't have to go to a fancy for yeah. And often the debt load that you come out of at the end of that is, is, and that's the big kicker. It's huge, yeah. right? And 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 you don't realize how hard that's going to be, what a hole people will be in yeah. after four years of that. But, I mean, the, the culinary school here in the community is fantastic. They they have a giant hotel that they built. It's fully functional. I mean, it's, it's a really, like, great program. So calling it a community college doesn't maybe do it the service. But, yeah. but, but I agree. I mean, I think that if you're interested in the culinary arts, um, maybe dip your toes in and go to a community school and see because you can get – and a great education for a fraction of the cost. Exactly. And just the cost of being in California or in New York, absolutely. you're going to spend another twenty, thirty thousand dollars just to be there. Absolutely. Right? Uh, and, and being able to travel and get that experience, that perspective as a young chef or a young front of house person, your interest in culinary or in hospitality is literally a ticket around the world. If you mm -hmm. keep your liabilities low enough. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So I think it's important for people to know that that, that could be an option for you, yeah. but you've got to be careful about getting into debt. Yeah. And, and to your point, that's why, you know, sometimes people want to go the work, uh, the work route. Um, you know, I know the stage program is not really so big anymore, but it used to be, you could go stage at restaurants, which basically means work for free, which, you know, but I, it's also a foot in the door. And I don't it, think people yeah. realize that. Uh, it's like you said, you started this by your quote was show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Yeah. How do you make friends by standing next to them? Absolutely. So if you can get a foot in the door and be shoulder to shoulder with people who are just as passionate as you, that you, we got to stop looking at things as being so money transactional. Like it's, a, it's a, like there's other assets in life and network is an asset. I totally agree. And I would say that that's something that I learned a little bit later is the network part of it. But in terms of your value, um, it's not always monetary. It's not always how much you make per hour. And I know that, in, and we can talk more about my kind of career and how it that yeah. went out. But, but I, I kind of shirked um, 
the the extra dollar an hour, the extra paycheck. And I, I, I went for skill acquisition. I was more interested in what I could get out of each restaurant and each experience. Uh, and Those to are me, assets. It's, it's way more valuable because what that in the long run, that's going to pay way more than yes. that extra dollar per hour, 50, whatever that looks like. I mean, yeah. So yeah, I love that. Uh, so the other thing I want to point out before I move on is this idea. Uh, you, you went to college first. You were, you're probably 22, 23 years old mm-hmm. tw- or older when you went back to school. How old were you? Yeah. Uh, I graduated. I was, I was, it's probably 22, maybe 22? just 22. Yeah. But there's absolutely a correlation between you and my other guests who go to culinary school. They almost always, the ones that choose to go later in life, not much later, but like mid twenties mm-hmm. almost always come out on top because they've, they've gotten the partying out of their system. They're much more intentional with it. Did you find that to be true with yourself? For me? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I can't speak to everybody, but I've definitely heard more than one story like that as well. Yeah. I mean, I just went in and I was there not to, not that I didn't want to make friends, but I knew what my purpose was yeah. and, and it wasn't to go party and it wasn't to do all that stuff. Uh, you know, it happened every now and then, but for the most part I was there because I wanted to be a great cook. I want to yeah. be the best I could possibly be. So I went in focused. So you graduate culinary school. What's going through your mind? Where are you in your head? You know, I was really inspired at that point by a lot of, uh, a lot of chefs. I did a lot of reading, a lot of cookbooks, um, a lot of blog posts. And so, you know, Charlie Trotter was one of my first, like really like, uh, like inspirations. Um, so I'm just looking through all his cookbooks. I was, I had fine dining, right? That was in my head. I, I wanted to go fine dining route. I wanted to just see how far that could take me. Why fine dining? It's beautiful. I mean, it's, uh, there's an art behind it. And, you know, I, I said that I was always kind of good in math and science, but I have a kind of a right brain, left brain thing. So I'm also really musical. I love music. I, I love art in some forms. I never was like a great painter or, or artist in, in like, like the pencil or a pen or anything. But when I found culinary, that's where I started to really like understand this. Maybe this is my medium, right? Like, yeah. um, so I, I don't know. I was just, I was just drawn to it. And, uh, you know, those, those first culinary or those first Charlie Trotter cookbooks, I got my hands on. I was like, Oh my God, no one's doing food like this. And, uh, that, so that's kind of where I, that, you know, when you're young, sometimes you just get idealistic and that was where my head was at. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can relate to that idealism. When I first started this podcast, I was only talking to restaurants that were doing farm to table, like James, like I would literally go to the James Beard Awards and to other publications that would feature these types of restaurants. And that's how I would choose when I was first getting started, how, who to interview. Um, but I think we'll come back to this later on that that's not always the best pass for everybody, right? Cause I mean, would yeah. you call fine, uh, big row fine dining? I mean, no, it's definitely elevated. No, not at all. I mean, and especially where we're sitting here at our, at our tap room, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like really delicious bar food, right? Yeah. Uh, but our, our soul and brew pub is, is definitely, I call it like casual yeah. Midwest. So we'll come back to that because I, I would like to know where the pivot came and why the pivot yeah. came. Yeah, but yeah. so you, you, you graduate culinary school, you're cooking around Iowa City, um, you're, you go to Kansas City. Any pivotal moments for you during this time, influential moments, any key mentors we've skipped over at this point too. That yeah, sure. Well, experience. so the very first person, my very first mentor, um, was Eric McDowell and he, he was a chef at actually a local place here in Iowa city called Takanami. Uh, and talking about Charlie Trotter, he actually worked for Trotter and, and was a sous chef for a couple of years. So he instantly, I was like, yes, <laughs> you know, uh, he's bringing some big city, uh, kind of idea, idealistic, uh, the, the types of cooking that he did. And, you know, that's where we're, we're doing meat fabrication. We're doing stocks and sauces from scratch. Um, we were doing tasting menus and wine dinners and things like that. So that was my first taste of it. Uh, and, and I knew I was on the right path cause I was hooked. Right. Yeah. Like, how did he really influence you? 
I mean, it was just, it was just the way he, I mean, it was, it was small things. It was like how he set up his station, yeah. like how meticulous it was. Like, okay. like everything's in the exact, right? We talk about mise en place all the mm-hmm. time. I promise you that most people who say the term mise en place, they don't understand, right? Like the, to help us understand what uh, it should be. Like, yeah. I mean, like a, a really well-stocked station that, that is set in the mise en place is in order. It's like everything, it should be muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Like the, the pepper mill is exactly in the same spot every time the, the, the herbs are always in the same order. Like you shouldn't have to think or look. You just, it's all, I mean, I don't have that now, right? Like the muscle memory, <laughs> it's like everything. It's, it's a practice skill, but um, everything is exactly where you need it to be. And it's not just everything's in a little plastic deli container. Like that's great. Yeah. Step one. But ne- next, there's like, a difference between prep cooking and, or your prep and mise en place, right? Yeah. Yeah. Your mise en place is when that order comes in and there's 30, 40, however many more orders on top of it. You don't have to stop and think about it. It's just like, go. If you start to go blind, you can still get through your job because yeah. of you know where everything is. Uh, I love that. So what ultimately, what brought you out of Iowa City? Um, my, my wife graduated. Uh, so we were both in the geoscience pro- uh, program at the university. And then she ended up getting a, a job in Kansas City. So it was like her first real job out of her, uh, her master's program. And you know, any, anybody who's, uh, who's an aspiring chef, um, knows that there's always work to be had, especially in a bigger city like Kansas City. So uh, I was just like along for the ride. So when when she got the job, I just went to task looking at, you know, who are the best restaurants and, and you know, just the old internet search, right? Like, yep. well, and you just start to see the same names come up and you see the same restaurants. It sounds like my life right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who and am so I going to talk to when I go to the city, just like, yeah. and you just look, you look for patterns. You look right? for patterns and yeah. you hear the same names and then you just start, you know, calling people up and also talk to people. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's, I think what you were just about to say and I cut you off. No, that's exactly right though. I mean, it's, it's, it's not enough to just like send an email and cause you can send a thousand emails a day. There's that personal connection, right? Yeah. Uh, so have a phone call, go, yeah. go to the restaurant. Like I went to the, there's a, a beautiful restaurant called blue stem in Kansas city. Um, Colby Geralt's and Megan Geralt's awesome. James Beard winners, like, uh, from way back in the day, I think they both worked at, do you remember the restaurant true? Was that true in Chicago? That sounds familiar. Yeah. I honestly can't remember. Either sure. way. So, I, I mean, I, I just went there and I walked in and I said, hey, I'm, I'm moving to town. I mean, I was like on a weekend, right? So, I'm traveling up there, walking in their door saying, I, I'd love to work in this restaurant. And, Drop these names on me one more time. Uh, Megan and Colby Geralt's. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, they, they were in New York City working in True. They, they bring their 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 skill, their, what they learned back to Kansas city. Yep. And what was it about these people that really drew you in? I mean, again, it was like, it was the, the artistic nature of the food, right? You, you, you see the, the photos and they're, they're seasonal, they're, they're contemporary. I mean, there's just, there's thought into them. They're not yeah. overly contrived. They're not like kind of that, like, you know, maybe late nineties where everything's a tower. I mean, it was like a little more landscape. There's just lots going on. And, and at that time, again, I mean, I was, I was definitely kind of enamored by that type of cooking. Um, but so I go in and I said I would stage and, and they said, sure, come on in and, and uh, work for free. And then I, I got stages at all, all over the restaurant, yeah. all over the, uh, uh, the area. That's important too. Why is that so important to really get your foot into every door first? Well, it goes back to kind of the, the network, right? You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Um, but then also you don't know what's going to be a good culture fit mm-hmm. or what's going to be a good fit for you in general for what you want to do. I think... No matter, I mean, looking back at myself now, I, I, I thought I was all in at fine, in fine dining and, and, you know, here I am later and I own a, a brewery in, in a diner, right? Like it's not necessarily uh, always going to be that way. So just kind of feeling it out and, and trying a bunch of different things. Yeah. 
Um, also, too, just talking to people. I'm sure when you're in there, you're talking to people. You're so one thing I've learned the hard way is you can't always trust the media outlets uh, to, to get your to find out who to go work for because. I mean, unfortunately, and hopefully I'm not burning any other media bridges out there, but there's a lot of pay to play in the world. Sure. And you can be the biggest asshole and horrible to your employees yeah. and pay for some press. Or, I mean, the, the the press only really looks for a few things, too. If you can put amazing food out, that's what they're going to be interested in. But what yeah. about everything else? You know, and if you have money, if you have big investors, like you can get that press, you can get that attention. Yeah. But the industry knows the people who are working every day knows who the good people to work for yeah, are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you're getting that, too, when you're getting in there to these kitchens and you're talking to people. Well, did you get any of that? Where there, did you hear people talking good things about different people and like stay away from this company? You know, that's it's been so many years. I mean, I definitely was more on like the who you should work for type yeah. of thing. Yeah. So it it actually the uh, it didn't end up working out at Blue Stem because okay. that restaurant was like, I think they had three line cooks. Oh, you know, wow. they had three cooks and and the two chefs. I mean, yeah. It was really small, um, and but they they set me up with the next place. Right. So that's part of it too, is, is I went in, I showed them what I could do. It didn't work right then, but then they said, Hey, you should go over to the American restaurant, which is where I ended up getting into. Um, awesome fine dining restaurant. But, uh, yeah, you just, you just never know. Every day is an interview, right? So show up, put out your best foot forward, be nice to everybody. Don't be a dick, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's one of the rules. Like, and, and you never know, you never know where it's going to go and don't burn bridges Mm -hmm. because it all comes back around. And it's so funny you know, how small this industry really is. It really is. It really is. Yeah, for sure. So, um, it was an experience you had in Kansas city that ultimately brought you to Seattle. Was it not? Yeah, it, it was. So I was working for uh, Selena Teo who right before I moved there, she also, she won James Beard for best chef Midwest. <clears throat> so, you know, kind of riding high ended up being, uh, uh, not offer, but partnered to, to open her own restaurant. So there was going to be a gap. She was going to be leaving the restaurant. And this is like maybe nine months after I started. Okay. Um, and we had done a dinner. It was a, a share our strength dinner. So it's like uh, to support ending childhood hunger. Mm-hmm. And so there were chefs from all over the country there and um, all just, you know, doing their, their guest chef uh, dinners. And there was a chef from uh, Seattle. His name was Keith Luce. And he, he, was at, he was the executive chef of the Herb Farm restaurant. And there was just something about the way he... The way he spoke, the way he, I mean, his food in general was gorgeous, right? Um, but he, he brought all these like little heirloom tomatoes and, and uh, you know, every, everything was just, it was hyper seasonal and the, 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 the restaurant had its own farm, like a fully working farm. And it was, I was so enamored by that because that was like the next thing for me is like. What's I, the year here? What's that? What's, where are we on the timeline? So timeline, this was probably 2000, maybe late 2007, okay. maybe early 2008. Yeah. So this is a, this is like a big topic during this time, or a, a kind of a trend where people are trying to get as close to the source as possible. Absolutely, and what's closer than your backyard, literally. Absolutely, yeah. and and for me, it was it was less like about oh, I want to be farm to table, and because that's like the new hot thing. It yeah. was more like I want to find a connection between what I'm doing for a living and how I live my life. If mm-hmm. that makes sense, right? Like you go to work and you can get the most pristine fish or the best morel mushrooms or all this awesome produce. And it just comes in a box. And I, had, I didn't have a connection to that. Yeah. Uh, and I also, like, you're grinding out however many hour work weeks. And I wanted to figure out something in my life that was more sustainable. And I, because I, I love food and I, yeah. I wanted it to be my life. I didn't want to leave it at the door. Yeah. I, I am who I am at home. I am who I am at the restaurant. And that connection to the farm and where it came from, that was something that I didn't. I didn't have a lot of experience with. So I was really just like, wow, this is the next step for me. Yeah. So f- next step in the sense that, 
you just want to get closer to the source and the, the you wanted to see the entire chain, the process yeah. from where it came from to where it ended up. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Got absolutely. Uh, so herb, what's it called? The herb? It's called the herb farm. The herb farm. Yeah. Right. And I think you could make a pretty strong argument that uh, it's been around for over 30 years that wow. that, um, Chez Panisse and Alice Waters, yeah. Chez Panisse in Berkeley, uh, uh, Blue Hill, Stone yep. Barns with yep. Dan Barber. I really want to get Dan on the, the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's a couple others. You can make a strong argument that they were like the the preeminent, like the on the forefront of of the farm to table and the herb farm. Mm-hmm. I would put in that in that category. Yeah, yeah. So you, you head up to uh, Herb Farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens when you get there? <laughs> yeah, I mean a lot. Holy cow! <laughs> uh, where do I start? I mean, I, I started as just a cook, right? And uh, it was it was a really kind of quick decision, right? I, I went out, I staged uh, again. I, so I went out and I worked for free for like a week. It was like, it was like four days. Right. But so when you go with, when you made this leap to go out to Seattle from Missouri, was it just going to be for a week? Was that the intention or do you know? No, think no, no. I, did I you plan on sticking around. I, I wanted to. Yeah. 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 I mean, I wanted to see if it was as amazing in real life as it like sounded. Right. Um, was that scary just to know that you don't have a job, but you're just going to go with your... Well, I, I didn't move at that time, okay. but I, I travel. I mean, so it's like a lot of out-of-pocket expense. Yeah. Again, I'm not, I'm not a lot of line cook. I'm not making a lot of money. Yeah. And, uh, but I was so excited by the prospect of it that I, I didn't even really think too much about it. I, um, I just kind of dove in. Yeah, so, so at the tail end of that, when they, he offered me a job, he's like, when do you want to start? He's like, can you start next month? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like I live in, you know, I live. So this is after the stage. After the stage. Yeah. yeah. Where did you land when he got there? Like, like who, who took you in? Were you so the chef, the, the chef was nice enough to kind of help me out. Um, he, he met me at the airport. He brought me to the restaurant. Um, I, I, I want to say he, he set up like a, it was like a, a simple motel, which I mean, I paid for, but he was still like, he kind of chauffeured me around and showed me, uh, show me the area. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was definitely a risk. It was definitely an investment. Um, don't, don't, I mean, that, 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 that charted the course for everything that to come. I mean, honestly, I'm not sitting here with you. I don't think if I didn't, right. If I didn't go there. So did he, did you like have a crash pad while you're there? Did he give you a place to crash too? No, I mean, I, he set me up like in a hotel. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So he picked you up. He paid for your hotel. No, I paid or, for my own hotel. Okay, but still, like, yeah. what do you, like, I think we hear, and there's a lot of truth to this and I don't want to under, undermine the or like the severity of the 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 shortage of staff right now because that's it's a real challenge mm-hmm. but also what are you willing to do you know Absolutely. to get good people in are you willing to recruit them from out of city to go to the airport to pick them up to help them find a place to stay right you know like what are you willing to do to get good people it, it's a it's a relationship you know it's a, it's a it's hard to get good people. I think this is a good example of what some, the best go that what they go through sure. to try to find good people. Absolutely. And and when we will talk about this, I'm sure much yeah. more, it's also, what do you do when you have them? How do you keep them? How do you yeah. engage them? How we do you definitely get into that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, let's, let's shelf that for later. So what were the biggest lessons you learned? Cause you were there for like three or four years. I right? was there for almost six years. Six years. Yeah. Okay. So I was the, uh, of, after about a year and a half, I was promoted to sous chef. Um, and I stayed there for another three and a half years, three, a little over that. So yeah, I mean, what did I learn? Holy cow. I mean, it's a lot to learn, right? Cause when you're talking about, I mean, you're talking about all the way from, from seed to, to plant and yeah. And well, think of it this way. Who were you when you went in and who were you when you came out? Sure. Okay. Yeah. When I went in, I think that I had an overinflated sense of what I was like, how good I really was and how much I knew. Um, I think when you, when you kind of give yourself to, a restaurant and, uh, and especially like this, this place had a, had, a, had the, the, the farm. We raised animals. Um, you know, we, we made cheeses. We did baked wild yeasted breads. I mean, there's just like, Oh my God, you pull, you pull open the curtain. You're like, Oh my God, I know nothing. Mm. Right. Like, 
it's way different to open a package of salami and use it in your dish than it is to like uh, do a field slaughter with a hog, which yeah. you know, and then and then and then fabricate the thing and then air dry it in the wine room and and maybe the, it works out. Yeah, right? hopefully, hopefully it doesn't go <laughs> sideways on you. So yeah, I mean, I just I think that over those years, obviously, I was like just completely immersed, completely immersed in the culture of food, and uh, I, I remember specifically thinking like okay, I'm, I'm going all in. I'm going to like give myself to this and just see what happens. Uh, and I, with the goal always, I don't, I mean, I don't know what the real goal was. I just wanted to be the best. I, I want to be the best I could possibly be. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't trying to compare myself to other people, but I want, I was, I wanted to learn how to bake bread. I didn't want to just, you know, go to the store and buy bread. Um, I wanted to learn how to make charcuterie. I wanted to dabble in cheese. I was not a good cheese maker. I know that I will not be, <laughs> not my future. But. You did say that you, when you came in, you had this inflated sense of who you were and what you could do. I mean, I think it's safe to say we all have a little bit of an ego early on, sure. right? Uh, what was your most humbling moment? If you can reflect back of like, oh, okay, maybe I, I have a lot to learn. Yeah. I mean, it was probably pretty early on. I, I, uh, I remember getting kind of thrust on. So it, this is a, this restaurant was, um, a nine course menu that changed every couple of weeks. So I wasn't on like a station per se. I was on like a course. Okay. And, um, I remember right, like right when we got in there, it was like my second week, second menu. And he, uh, the chef had me doing, God, what were we making? It was like, he was had, he had me turning like purple cabbage braised down with wine and vinegar and honey and pureeing that. And then we were using some, I can't even remember what, some crazy hydrocolloid to make gnocchi out of it. Right. So yeah. hydrocolloids you like cannot kind of help manipulate textures okay. and such. So there wasn't a lot of starch in purple cabbage. Um, and we're making gnocchi and it's supposed to work. I mean, in theory it works <laughs> and this thing is not setting up. It's just like a puddle of gunk and <laughs> the, you know, the chef's getting frustrated. I'm super frustrated, right? Like up to this point, like you know, most challenges I've like dive in and, and succeed. And it wasn't a big deal. I just can move on to the next one. And this was the first time I was like, holy crap, this is, I'm not, a, I'm not ready for this. Yeah. And, uh, I definitely had a couple moments early. I think we all like anybody who works in the food industry, if you haven't cried at least once after a shift, yeah. <laughs> maybe you're not. Was pushed. this your first cry? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah probably. What, you know, were you, what, what was it that made you cry? What, I mean, what? it's just like you started thinking, oh my God, I just like moved my entire like life here. And you know, I'm three, my, three weeks in. My like, gooey. Well, yeah, I mean, it sounds so <laughs> silly when you say it like that, but, uh, in, in, in the moment you like, you know, it's all, it's like, you don't want to fail. You don't, yeah. you, you, you know, you move, you put a lot into it. I put a lot into this and I moved myself across the country and now I'm just questioning, like, am I actually ready for this step. Yeah. And, and obviously that was just one menu, one thing we got the gnocchi figured out. We, we banged it out. And, um, but isn't perspective a wild thing? Like looking back to where you were then, you know, who you were then late 2010s or two thousands, uh, that was like a life shattering moment for me, for you. If you now putting yourself in the shoes you are now, you're like, what was was the big deal? That was like the easiest part of my day. It's like (laughs) cooking the food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so what about, you said you were promoted to, to sous chef, mm-hmm. right? What was that transition like? Yeah. So this, I would, I would argue is probably the most pivotal, pivotal, uh, time of my career because, uh, chef loose had, had actually moved on. He, he's from upstate New York. So he moved back to upstate New York and there was kind of this long process of trying to find the next chef of the herb farm. Um, and meanwhile, you know, we're, we're not rudderless. I mean, we know how to run this restaurant, but the, my good friend was the sous chef. His name's Chris Weber. Uh, he was 25 years old and I was probably 28 years old. And, um, so we're, we're kind of keeping the ship afloat and, 
you know, and I don't blame them, but the owners did not want to promote Chef Chris. Uh, He's, he's a young guy, you know, he's super talented, but maybe in their mind he wasn't quite ready, right? So we had a series of like tryouts, CDC, a couple CDCs that, that didn't really work out. And finally they, they said, you know what, we're going to give this kid a shot. And so they ended up promoting him. He's the youngest five diamond chef ever. Wow. Yeah. I think he's 25 years old. He's still the chef to this day. He actually owns the restaurant. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So my good friend, he's now the owner of the restaurant. Um, so he gets promoted at 25 to be the chef and I'm promoted along with him to be the sous chef. And I just remember kind of like looking at him, he's on his station, I'm on mine and I'm like, okay, this is our show. You know, you're the, you're the man, but it's like anything's, it's a good team, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like I'm the chef here, right? But I have a whole team. I'm not making this happen by myself. And, and I remember him and I basically, cause we didn't have that, you know, that mentor that had all the recipes and had all the answers and could just show us the way and chart the course. Like yep. we're charting our own course. You're that to other people now. Yeah. And <laughs> it's like, we're trying to try to figure it out ourselves. Yeah. Right. And How so, do you deal with that when you're blatantly trying to figure it out yourselves, but you're also having to be the leader. People are going to you for answers. Do you, how do you handle that internally, externally? I mean, you got to rely on, we relied on each other a ton. You know, I think that we're both really competitive Mm -hmm. uh, in our own ways. And so we just pushed each other, right? Like I'm pushing him and he's pushing me right back. And and I think that that just kind of helps us level up in a lot of ways. I mean, we made plenty of mistakes, right? Like, uh, but how would you push each other? I mean, <laughs> so lots, lots of ways. I mean, we're, we, we were writing menus every other week. Yeah. So, so the, the cadence of our, our uh, menu development was we'd start a menu on, uh, I guess it'd be like a Wednesday. And then the following Wednesday, we've had one week under our belt. We're at the farm to start our day and we're going with the farmer uh, to see what's growing, to see what's like about to happen. And then we go back to the restaurant and then we're writing the menu for the next week. And I'm not talking about like, oh, we'll, we'll take the daikon off and we'll put like breakfast radishes on. Like, yeah. no, 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 no. It's like literally entire new menu, nine courses, bread service, um, minyardis, take home treats. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah, it's a lot. But it's, I, it's a lot. I think it's important to have that partner though, to have that other person. Um, and this is something for the, you know, like the first five years, six years of Restaurant Unstoppable. I didn't have somebody else to go to to bounce ideas off of until yeah. I started, you know, until Jared started becoming a bigger part and he started taking over all the editing and then he started getting involved in like the idea of production and like a collaborate, almost more of a collaborative piece. And to have that other person that you can get things out to mm-hmm. and, and to like literally birth into the universe by saying it yeah. and to making it real and to have someone else hear that and give you feedback and like, and just evolve that thought. Yeah. Like having a person to, to, to mastermind with Absolutely. is so powerful and Absolutely. you do pull, you do pull each other up a hundred percent. And so, so, you know, challenging, challenging each other on the techniques we're using on the creativity on, on, on just how much we're willing to do. I mean, like that's the thing about fine dining that I love and I hate is that, We'd spend so many countless hours toiling for these little, per- like perfect little garnishes that, like you know, are they really making the dish t- taste better? Arguably not, but goddamn, they look good, right? Yeah. So, like, we're doing all these cool things, and uh, you know, the sacrifice and time. And I didn't have kids or you know anything like that, so it's just like I was all in on this, and and he was in the same boat. So, yeah, I mean, we just push each other that way a lot. Um, he's a crazy person, like in a really great way like we did a uh it's called a hundred mile menu was one of our menus and you know this is not necessarily unique now but it was kind of a flex at the time where every single molecule of food was going to be sourced within 100 miles wow and i mean to like we don't produce diamond crystal salt so what are we going to do 
<laughs> like we were driving to the sound and getting seawater and boiling it down wow. and making salt and like boiling our potatoes in it and like blanching vegetables in it. And I remember, so our, our menu, uh, or our, our week would go from Wednesday to Sunday and it was like Saturday night. We just got done. We're like toast and champagne. It's like good job team. And Chris is like, we don't have enough salt. <laughs> So I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, we're not going to make it for tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, we got like a case and a half of diamond crystal back here. No one's going to know. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, nope. He's like, I'm going. Oh man. And he drove at like midnight, an hour and a half, or maybe it's more to the sound, fills up these like five gallon things of water, brings them back to the restaurant, gets them on, starts reducing them so that we had salt for the next day. How like, much salt can you get from 10 gallons of oh water? Oh God, it was been, it's been a while. <laughs> I mean, you get a little bit more than you think It all. I mean, it gets so saturated and it precipitates out. Yeah. Um, and we would just use it for finishing and, but like most things we would try to like just blanch. Right. So yeah. you, you always say like when you're blanching vegetables, like t- it should taste like the sea and that's the idea. So yeah. we just, we literally just use like seawater. <laughs> um, but that's the kind of thing that put it in. It's like, I'm like, you're a crazy person. I'm not going to do that. But the fact that he's willing to do that makes me think, well, what am I willing to do? Yeah. Like how hard am I going to push? Yeah. And so that's kind of keeps you honest. It, it does. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Any other key points during this time at Herb Farm where you evolved, where you grew professionally, where you, you got something that helped you for the next stage of your life? Yeah, there, there's a couple of things. One, well, I'll start with... List them off real quick for me. Well, there, I mean, I, I got to understand how much I could accomplish. Okay. Like, if I could, If I could be organized and disciplined enough, like how much can I really do in a day? What's the next thing? The next thing is, uh, is how bad of a leader I was at that time. What's, what else? What else? Um, are those the two things you went to dive Those into? are the two things okay. that I thought to dive into. So understanding how I can accomplish, or I think I... Yeah, I mean... Write it's, that down my notes well, but you know what I'm trying to I think about. about this a lot because um, we have, especially in the last couple of years, we've had a lot of challenges with staffing issues, and I got a lot of young uh, leaders coming, and, and it's been hard, right? And we can all agree how hard it's been. And I tell this story, um, not to flex or because say that I, you know, I'm able to do something that they're not, but, but I think that there's always moments in your life that are really, really hard and that when you're in them, they, they feel like almost impossible. And when you can find a way to push through to the other side, you can really learn a lot about yourself. Right. And so in this moment, I remember we were, we were really desperately understaffed. Like normally we had a team of probably like, it doesn't matter, like eight or nine cooks plus a couple interns plus a pastry chef. And we were down to like five cooks, no interns, and no pastry chef. I mean, it was like five people that should have been doing like 12 people's jobs. Yeah. And at that point, I became the bread baker. I became, you know, I was the sous chef. I, I also did one of, the, one of the two desserts and the take-home treat. So I was doing like basically four people's jobs. Yeah. And that's obviously we, like, we stripped down certain things to like make it more feasible. But what it really made for me is like, I'm coming in with a plan every single time. And it's not only is it a plan with, you know, the 50 or whatever items I have to do that day. I mean, it's, it's itemized one through 50. And then it got even more intense because it was service happens at 7 PM, no matter what, whether you're ready or not. And so then it's like, okay, I'm going to be in there at 10 AM by 10, 10, I need water on for blanching green veg by 10, 15, the faro is going to be started by 10, 25. This is happening by the blah, 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 like all the way down. And that's all it was. It was just a, it was like, I'm looking at the clock. I'm looking at my prep list. I'm, I'm hammering as hard as I possibly can. And that it was really, really challenging until we got staff back up. Yeah. But what that told me is like, 
if you can come in and face a, you know, face something that's really monumentally challenging and break it down into kind of like bite-sized chunks and just make sure that you're on top of that and you stay to your plan, you can get so much more done. I, I just see people waste so much time. Like, what am I going to do next? Like, yeah. oh, go back. There's a, a name for that. Um, is it Pareto's principle or something like that? Where like, I'm not sure. I can't remember what it is, but it's like the the idea that like you will you're way more efficient if you work, if you like, you wait till the last minute, if you're given less time to do something, like you'll make the most of that time. Whereas if you're given two hours to do oh, the, yeah. the same amount of work in 30 minutes, you're going to be like, Oh sick. Yeah. And you're just going to kind of like fat, dumb and happy, like roll through it. Yeah. Yeah. But like you can, if you're limited with the, the amount of time you have, like you just exponentially way more productive because yeah. you're forced to get creative and think about how can I do this? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There's um, a, there's a term for it. I can't, exp- I can't remember. Yeah. And, and I, and I just, I, I say that story to like, like, especially going through the pandemic, you know, I had several, you know, chefs that were in that position for the first time. So not only are they in the, in one of the hardest positions where all of a sudden how good they cook almost doesn't matter because now they're leading a team. Um, and then you're dealing with obviously all the unknowns that came with the pandemic. And I just kept telling them like, guys, this is literally going to be the hardest thing that you probably ever have to go through. Like when you're done with this, when we get through this, when we figure all this out and we like keep pivoting and, and make it through, like you're going to be, a, you're going to be an animal, right? Like what challenge is going to be hard after this? Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at with that is like when you can, when you can come up to one of the hardest things you've ever had to deal with and find it within yourself to figure out a way through, even though it's, I'm not saying it's going to be, in fact, I know it's not going to be easy. That's the whole point. On the other side, you're so much better. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So before we move on to the next thing you wanted to talk about, as far as you didn't realize how bad of a leader you were, mm-hmm. the term I was trying to think of is uh, Pomodoro technique, I think is the expression. So okay. if you guys want to look into that, the listeners, it's really powerful. Uh, okay, so you said that you didn't realize how bad of a leader you are, um, or you were, I should yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, paint the picture for how bad of a leader you were. I mean, it was like kind of a classic, like, I'm the sous chef. I'm a better cook than you. I can do this faster than you. And if you can't keep up, I'm going to let you know about it. You know, it's like, and it's just a toxic way to lead. And it's like, we're coming out of an era where, you know, maybe it's a little bit before my time where like the chef could be a dick and he could throw the pan at you and he doesn't care. Like, you know, you, you should be lucky to work for him. Mm. Um, and, and I just, or he or she, it doesn't matter. But, um, the point is, is that you can do all those things and also be nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Uh, and I did, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of the, uh, the softer skills to be able to like coach and yeah. lead and like inspire. It was more just like, hopefully you're inspired because I'm a really great cook and you want to be like me, but yeah. I just don't think that's a good way to lead. Is there a moment you can think of where you were this leader, where you really like, where you really just aren't proud of how you treated somebody? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a very stark moment that I think about that makes me think of this story. It was just, we had an intern um, who was a really challenging intern, uh, didn't pick up things like they should, you know, show them over and over and over. Uh, lots of, lots of things would go awry, right? You could always point like, we'll point back to the the leadership. Sure. But like a lot of challenges with this guy. And, uh, at the end of his, I think it's like a three month kind of internship. Um, you know, one of the last things he said to me is, is something along the lines of like, it's like, are you going to kick my ass after this shift? Like he thought that I was going to like beat him up or something. And I think it was kind of in jest, but I'm yeah. like, Oh my God, did I really treat this guy like that poorly? And it made me really like, really like, yeah, feel, feel really shameful. Yeah. Like, cause I didn't feel like I did, but at the same time, uh, obviously I didn't treat him very well. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole goal in my mind was like, 
this is one of the best restaurants. We're going to be the best restaurant. And I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't put his feelings in, in any of the equation. Yeah. And that's just not, that's not right. Yeah. Um, awesome stuff, man. I've been loving this conversation is around this time you get a call for, from one of your, was it a family friend? Uh, yeah. So Doug Getch is uh, my business partner now and one of the founders of Big Grove. Um, he worked with my dad at, at a food service company called Hawkeye Food Sur- Service. Okay. So, um, and, and he had gone from a food rep salesman uh, and ended up becoming um, a, a corporate chef to that company and then ultimately ended up in the, the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park uh, as like director of corporate relations. So okay. he was in the food industry still. Um, and then he had, he had partnered with, uh, Matt and Faye Swift, who are my, also my business partners, yeah. local restaurateurs. Uh, and he was ultimately going to come back to Iowa to open this brew pub in like a small town. Like there's like 2000 people in this small town. And funnily enough, I, I, my wife was pregnant with our second kid at the time. And we were already kind of thinking like, okay, it's really expensive to live out here. What's the next step? We we're already thinking about moving back to Iowa. And I had gotten off the phone call with my third and final interview with the hotel at Kirkwood. So the culinary school that I went to yeah. for the chef de cuisine position of their hotel. So just got off this interview with like the, the Dean of admissions, the head instructor, um, a couple other people, the, the current executive chef. So I'm just mentally drained. I'm like, I've gone through this whole interview process. I'm drained. I'm sitting on the couch and I open Facebook and Doug, who I've never messaged once in my life, never communicate on Facebook. He just instant messages me and just says, Hey, <laughs> that's <laughs> all it says. And that's a great place to take our first break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by MarginEdge, a software platform for restaurant people by restaurant people. To be successful in the modern age, you need to be efficient by streamlining your processes and creating automation. Simply put, MarginEdge means data streamlined and insights automated. With MarginEdge, you can track food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. And who likes data entry? No one. So you'll be thrilled to hear that there's no more data entry with Margin Edge. They will save your team hours and paperwork by automating your invoice processing with line item detail. Don't worry about the integration either because Margin Edge allows you to seamlessly connect your POS and accounting systems and get a daily P&L. On top of all of this, Margin Edge enables you to digitally manage your inventory and recipes plus Plus, you can compare actual cost versus theoretical cost. Find out why over 3,100 restaurants are thrilled to be using MarginEdge. Head to MarginEdge.com unstoppable to sign up for your free demo. And when you use that link, you can try MarginEdge for free for 30 days. There's no contract. There's no setup fee. Plus, you get free unlimited training and support. That's MarginEdge.com unstoppable. One more time, marginedge.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back. You just told us about how you got a, a message from a family friend, Doug. He, uh, it was a Facebook message. He mm-hmm. says, hey. Just says, hey. And, yeah. and I remember opening it, and it's back in, you know, where you open it, and it says, seen. Yeah. So it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. like, I know he knows I saw this. Yeah. And uh, like, I just really didn't want to. I was, I was like, I, I'm done for the day. But you just I, hit a little vein with me and I hate to go down a rabbit hole, but also like how much pressure is that today that like no matter where you get a message from, you can get them from like five different me- like yeah. angles and like 
the pressure of having to respond from like you're coming game came at from all different angles. Yeah. Uh, it's a little overwhelming. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, it at times it can be, yeah. um, but you know, do you ever feel that pressure to like get back to people like right away? I mean, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I mean, but it's like there's leaders that are empowered on, on site. So yeah. if they are reaching out to me, um, it's for a reason, right? Yeah. So like, I, you know, I might not answer right now, but I'm yeah. going to absolutely get, I, I don't have the luxury of being like, ah, I'm going to ignore this. Yeah. I don't like, think you I, should ignore things, but <laughs> I mean, definitely don't. I think there's a balance that could be met. Like just because somebody messages you, you don't have to, there's not, there's no rule that says you have to reply to them within 24 hours. You know, yeah. I think it's important to find that balance of like tackle one thing at a time, finish yeah. that and then move on to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, but that's a rabbit hole. We don't need to get buried in. He says, Hey, he, you see, you know that he saw it. Yep. Yep. What happens? So I, I, you know, I text back or, you know, instant message back. I'm like, Hey, <laughs> what's, what's up? What's up? <laughs> what's up? Uh, cause again, literally never messaged yeah. him before. And you know, he just launches into it. He's like, Hey, I'm opening this, uh, brew pub in Solon with, uh, Matt and Faye Swift. And it's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm really curious if you know anybody in the area that's, uh, that's up to the task of, you know, being a chef. Do you think place. he was really asking if you'd be interested? And that was he, you a know, sneaky way. No, <laughs> I think that he, he's adamant that he was just, I mean, he's an ultimate network guy. Yeah. So he's like anybody in my network that I know, uh, regardless of how much I've interacted with them in the past, I'm going to reach out, right. I'm going to, I'm going to tap into that network. So, you know, I believe maybe part of that's true, but, yeah. but either way, like as it was just like so serendipitous, it was yeah. like, I, I want to move back to Iowa. Here's this opportunity to, to open a, a restaurant. Um, and I remember getting on a phone call with him the next day. And we probably talked for like two hours about concept, about what this would be like, what the type of service would be, what the food would be like. And just our visions were very similar because we both come from Iowa. I'm from Iowa City and he's, he's from a small town called Calmus. Yeah. And, um, but we both made it out into larger network or not larger like metropolitan areas. So kind of having that like that juxtaposition of like small town uh, food versus like bigger city and, and what that like kind of where food trends come from. Cause you always see them kind of start the coast and then, and then yeah. move inward. So, so we both love the idea of like, how do we bring some of what we really love about dining out in bigger cities and bigger markets and then bring it to people who, who, you know, and take away some of the, the pretension out of it. Yeah. Right. So that was always the concept is that the core of the menu at big Grove was going to be really approachable stuff, you know, um, sandwiches and, and some simple salads and, uh, pizzas and, and then he was going to let me play on the peripheral of the menu. So yeah. that's when I really kind of was able to like flex on appetizers and entrees and things like that. And I'm sure you weren't changing the menu every couple of weeks. No, no, not, but we did change it quarterly. Yeah. Yeah. We did change it quarterly, which was always also the goal is like, I, I need change. Um, personally, I yeah. just like, I get a lot, a lot of people inspired too. And yeah. it's important. I think there's a balance to be met. Uh, so when you first started having this conversation, was there talk of partnership? Like when did that, that conversation? No, come no yeah, no, I was just, I was hired as the executive chef. Okay. Um, and the, that was never in the conversation. Uh, but I treated it like I was yeah. a partner, you yeah. know, that's, that's maybe, maybe where you're trying to go, but that's absolutely real. It's like, I came in and even though I was just an employee, I had a hundred percent ownership of it yeah. and my name was on the menu. And you know, I maybe naively, I was like, I'm going to make an amazing restaurant in this small, like it's going to be, it's going to be success, a smash success, not knowing all the things stacked against me. I mean, we're, we're relying on, on a, a demographic that doesn't exist. Like you can't support a restaurant like Big Grove with just the, the, the people that live in that city. So we're trying to pull from larger markets. We have Cedar Rapids North and 
um, North Liberty to, to the West and then Iowa city. So, you know, there's a big risk, yeah. you know, and, and I didn't realize again, like kind of naive, didn't realize that, but I think that kind of helped me too, because I didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. I just went in with like, this is your lane. This is my vision. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to, you know, m- you know, move everything to get out, to get at it. So, um, yeah, I mean, partnership was not on the table and, and really what happened was I just worked my face off mm-hmm. and, and I did exactly what I said I was going to do. And I, 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 we, we built this restaurant I hired great people and I continued to kind of like start to build this circle of, of young, hungry, talented people, um, around me that, that saw the vision that, that love what we were doing, that were inspired by the changing menus. And, and then it was probably like 16 months later, I don't know, uh, I remember Matt Swift, um, the owner comes up to me and he's like, Hey, uh, I'd love to get a beer with you sometime and, and just chat, chat about food. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, that sounds great. You know, I love like nothing I love more than talking about food and on a day off I can go, you know, somewhere and just have a beer and relax. Sounds amazing. Yeah. So before we go forward, uh, why choose big Grove versus the opportunity at your old school? I mean, the, the ability to create something new. Yeah. Right. And the, 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 the kind of like the unknown, I, I just, I loved the idea of getting to put my stamp on it right from the beginning and being a, a, a part of, of what we could create. Like yeah. I wasn't coming into something that was already established. There were no parameters. There was, I had to build everything from the ground up and that was a really exciting prospect to me. Do you remember the vision that was shared with you to sell you on joining this team? I mean, it was kind of what I alluded to is that it was going to be this kind of like small brew pub that was, uh, that was going to be, you know, mostly for kind of Midwest, you know, common everyday blue collar. And then we were going to just play with seasonal ingredients and work with local farmers. And it was kind of like what we were doing at the herb farm, but maybe just without all the bells and whistles and not, not as intense, of course, but what was your strategy to pull from those other markets? Was that shared with you? Um, I mean, the brewery is a big draw. The brewery helps, right? Yeah. Like, um, were there other breweries during that time that you were competing with? Not, not locally, not in the yeah. area. Yeah. There are definitely some big Iowa breweries, but, um, honestly in, in Johnson County and where we're at in the, the corridor area, there wasn't anything. Was there a specific reason why you, your team chose, is it, I know, is it Sol, Sol, uh, Solon? Solon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I want to call it Salon. I don't get it. I mean, that's a whole story to itself, but I, I know. A, so Matt, one of his first restaurants, Matt, my partner, Matt yeah. Swift, was Red's Ale House, which, yeah, we're going to go down a rabbit hole, but are you cool with this? Because it's really Please, interesting yeah, yeah. to how this whole thing came about. I'm doing some research for later now. Yeah, yeah. So, so Red's Ale House um, was like their original motto was no crap on tap. So okay. they really yeah. leaned. This is before like in our area that craft was really accepted. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of domestics and lagers and things like that. And they would have like beer buyers come in and or the sellers and be like, hey, so you know, we'll put a couple Bud, Budweiser handles here, Bud Light here. And he's like, no, 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 we're not doing any of that. And they thought he was crazy. Um, but, but he was really onto something. And, and so he really quickly catapulted Reds to be like the preeminent like uh, beer bar in Iowa. And so he was selling more beer than almost anybody, even in like a, in like a regional area for like Bells and Founders and Stone, some of these big names yeah. in the industry. And when you do that out of a little place like like that in North Liberty, like you turn some heads. Yeah. So he's really at this point, all of a sudden catapulted himself into like the conversation for craft beer, not, not in the, the production, but in terms of distribution. Um, and so he starts thinking about like, what if we just put a brewery on the back of reds? So when did he start reds? 
That was 2000. I, I, you have to ask him. I think it was 2006. So like it was like six years before the, the brewery was Something built out? Like, yeah, it was yeah. It was definitely uh, several like years before. Um, and so they went down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out how to put a little microbrewery on the back of the restaurant. And for whatever reason, the city ultimately decided not to allow it, okay. probably zoning or whatever. Yeah. And so that and conversation... This was in Iowa City? This, uh, so that, that's in North Liberty. North so Liberty, it's just a little yeah. bit north of Iowa City. Yeah. Um, and so, so the conversation dies there and then ultimately picks back up and, and becomes what ultimately was, was uh, Big Grove, Solon. So, I mean, this, this brewery could almost not even exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't have existed. Uh, I don't know what would have happened if they put it on the back of Reds, but I don't know. So, um, so Matt says, actually, before we get into that, you said you started building a network. I think this is really important when you're new. I mean, you weren't new to Iowa City in this area. You're from this area. Yeah. But your professional network was in different places. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So, what? Did, and why is it so important to build a network? And how did you go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, the network's everything, right? Because that's that's how people get to know like what you're about, what your standards are, like like if they if they want to align with you or not, um, and then just like shared resources, right? So, in some sense, I would have like a network. Like we went to farmers markets and said, like, who's who's growing what in the area, and we would just make connections and s- tell them our story, what we're trying to do in Solon. Um, can we buy tomatoes from you? Can we buy asparagus from you? Can we buy this? And, you know, um, so it started kind of small like that. And then the other side of it is just like the chef network, uh, where I just shared the vision. Like I wanted people to understand I was trying to do something a little bit different, certainly not groundbreaking in any stretch, but like I had a vision and I wasn't just trying to like status quo. Yeah. And so anybody that came and applied or was working for me, I mean, I was putting people through the ringer. Like yeah. I was like line cooks were having to stage and cook in the back, which is crazy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was like making them make like three dishes to see if they were good enough to, it's kind of ridiculous, right? I don't do that anymore. But at the time I'm like, you know, I had, I, I, I had, I show me your friends. I'll show you. Yeah. The future. Yeah. And you so, and the people that were with it that came and showed up and did it like, I mean, they, 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 right off the bat, they like, they understood that they were going to be a part of something. Right. And, and I think that when you can kind of, you know, talk about your vision, talk about like almost to the point where you're blue in the face, like, you know, then everybody gets it and they can all move in the same direction. Right. It just makes everything easier. Mm-hmm. Um, it also pushes people way out of their comfort zone. Right. And, and the people that are yeah. willing to work through that are going to be a better long-term fit. You just company. said something that's really important and I want to make sure it gets echoed. The whole point of having a vision is to share it. Yeah. You can't write this grand vision yeah. and keep it to yourself. The point is to get out there and to bump in against people and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Right. And that's how you inspire people. That's how you pull people in. You, you have to share your vision. You have to network. You have to put it out there to, to, to bring it in. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And it's not like braggadocious or like, you know, boasting. I mean, it really like. Most people who have a vision and they say it a couple of times, they think, oh yeah, everybody gets what we're trying to do. It's like, no, they don't. No. They don't understand what you're trying to do. Yeah. Like we have to talk about it. I remember saying like literally in an in interview for like a dishwasher's, <laughs> so dumb. I mean like, this is going to be the best restaurant in Iowa. <laughs> and he's like, okay. Like, what do you want? The, where do you want the dishes at? <laughs> but also if you don't believe it, how do you expect anybody else to believe yeah, it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people are inspired by people who have have a vision, right? If, if it, if it, if, if what I want to do aligns with what you want to do and you're going there, I'm like, let me take me with you. Let, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So that's kind of what that was. And, um, but you're right. You got to share, you got to share the vision and don't yeah. be afraid of that. Yeah. So, uh, before we start talking back to, uh, Matt 
reaching out to you and saying, mm-hmm. let's go get it. Let's go get it, some food or let's grab a drink. Talk yeah. about food. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of talk about, uh, I think when you get into this, this industry, when you're young and hungry, um, and I don't know, I can't remember the word you use, but, um, maybe naive, like you think you, you want to go do all this like high touch farm to table, new menu every day from, you're also the gardener and you like, you know, you want to do all this stuff. <laughs> right. Right. And it's like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and then maybe after 10 years of that, you realize, Oh my God, like I have nothing left in the tank and I don't want to tell yeah. you, I'm not trying to share a false narrative if, if I'm wrong, but did that idea of like, listen, like you can still do something that's respectful and know your lane and co- collaborate with other people and let them do what they do and then bring it to the plate instead of trying to do everything yourself. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, not to say I didn't have anything left in the tank, but you're absolutely right that I, I had kind of done the fine dining route and I realized that there was a lot of, a lot of things I still love about yeah. it to this day. Like, absolutely. We, ju- we just did a beer dinner in Solon last night and we get to do that kind of fun yeah. stuff, but it's not every single day. And, and you know, you just, if, to me, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze at times. Right. And so I like to find, um, something that's more sustainable for myself, for yeah. my, for my teams, um, where we can take some of the superfluous things out of it and all that, especially when we're talking about labor, right? That's, yeah. that's a huge topic in the industry. Like, why am I going to try to kill this line cook to do all these extra garnishes when it's not adding anything? Mm-hmm. So like, let's focus on what's really important and, and how do we get the most bang for our buck? But I mean, I, I, whatever it is that you're doing, if you have a hot dog stand and you sell the most amazing hot dogs, like that's respectable. Yeah. Like I will find you, you know, and that's proven. People will hunt down and find the best hot dog yeah. or whatever it is. Um, to say that fine dining is like the end all be all. I, I might've thought that once when I was younger. Absolutely. I think a lot of people felt that I way. I think so and Most too. young people when they get in, they, cause these are the people that we celebrate in that the magazines push. Sure. And like if you're not doing this, you're not a respectful chef. Right. You know? And, I think that they were not doing the industry much, much justice because it's really hard to be fiscally responsible and do all that stuff. Absolutely. It's not, it might be sustainable in the sense that like you're sourcing locally and you're reducing your carbon footprint and, you know, supporting good food practices. You can support good, you can support good food practices other ways. You don't have to be everything to everyone. And I think it's important that we, we talk about fiscal responsibility and, yeah. and sustain like personal sustainability. Uh, and that should be a part of the narrative. And yeah. I think that should be celebrated. Like if you're making a lot of money and you're providing opportunity for people and everyone feels secure, isn't that it's a, beautiful? It's a great thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and you're not even talking about like inclusivity. Like yeah. if you're going to a fine dining restaurant, like that's not inclusive. Right. Like if it's $300 a plate mm-hmm. and that's not even with wine pairings or whatever, like that's a very small demographic that's going to come and eat at that restaurant. Yeah. So I totally agree. It's not, I'm not going to say it's a false narrative, but maybe it's highlighting uh, like one small sector um, and not giving enough praise to, to other like really, really like honorable parts yeah, of the industry. Look, only a few amount of people get Michelin star mm-hmm. stars, you know, only a few amount of people win James Beard awards. Mm-hmm. If you, if you're not winning these things or if you're getting into this industry to win those things, you're, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you might be disappointed. And that's you, a byproduct. Yeah. That's like, that's yeah. a byproduct of, of, of 
of a specific type of restaurant yeah. and the work you put into it. If you go in, it's like anything you're chasing accolades. You're probably not, you're probably going to burn out pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think we need to dive deeper into that. I just felt like it was worth, I mean, yeah. did your perspective on what success looks like change? I guess is what I'm, I'm getting at. Did, was that perspective change when you came back to Iowa city? Did your values change it? Not values, yeah. but I guess. Yeah, no, my values have changed a ton because it, it, you know, it was me probably a little more, uh, self-absorbed, right? Like I was about focused on my, like what I could do and like how, how good of a cook I was. And then when I started building teams, you realize like you're nothing without the team. Mm -hmm. You're literally nothing without the team. And, uh, it's kind of cliche, but it's like that hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, when, when you realize like, I can't treat this line cook poorly because if they walk out, guess who's covering, right? That's like, there's no one else. Yeah. Especially today. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but not just because of that, because these, these are people too that have ambitions and hopes and you can help them like we can all help this like network thing mm-hmm. like like that's why we've frankly probably had less of a challenge than a lot of places with with labor is because we're, we're focusing as much effort and energy into how do we help these guys than than we are about like the food on the plate yeah right it's like we're, we're doing all sorts of stuff which i'd love to get into later like continuing education and mentorship yep. we'll and get all that there stuff. for sure yeah. we still got time to talk uh so Matt Swift says, Hey, let's grab a beer and talk mm-hmm. about food. Yeah. What's that conversation look like? Oh, as I, I remember I, I showed up to Red's, ordered a beer, sat down, and uh see Matt walk in and he slides into the booth and all of a sudden right next to him slides uh Nate Kading, who's like a, a former Iowa Hawkeye, then turned NFL kicker, like kind of local legend guy. I'm like, oh my god, what's going on here? And instantly they just dive in. There's like, so just so you know, like we got this restaurant space, it's downtown. It's this little shotgun diner. It's perfect. It's like, they're like pitching me on this. Re- and it's like, what the hell is going on right now? Like we didn't have any, like almost no small talk. I'm like, I thought we were here. I'm like, I'm in it. Like I'm in the grind. Like this is my day off. I'm exhausted. And I'm just here to take yeah. a load off and have a conversation about food. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's just like everything that became Pullman bar and diner is like laid out in front of me. Um, and it was just, it was wild. It was, so that was the first time that the opportunity really presented itself to be a partner in this venture. And it was, it was, it was, I don't even know how to, it was terrifying to say the least, just because it's like, everything sounds awesome when you're just hanging out, having a conversation. Yeah. And then when it's like, we can go down and look at the space, like we could sign this by the end of the week, etc. And I mean, it really happened that fast. I don't, I don't want to be flipping about it. Like there was a ton of due diligence about like, the land and the lease and, and everything. But like, that's Nate's lane. That's Matt's lane. They're, they're the business. They understand business on a level. Like I'm getting a master's degree in business just by hanging out in the room with yep. these guys, which is super cool. Um, but, but once it got to me and they're like, what does this vision look like? What can we execute? What can we do? I'm like, Oh my God, this is like, when you're going to really sign your name so now on we're talking release. about food <laughs> now. Yeah. Now we're talking about food and now we're talking about, yeah. um, so this is what he meant by talking about food. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it's just different when, when you have skin in the game, right. Yeah. Uh, and it becomes a whole lot more real yeah. in, in a good way, but it is, it's, it was, it was scary because I was kind of, I was kind of happy and comfortable and like making this, this business work. And then all of a sudden it was like left turn. Yeah. So this is your first partnership. Yeah. Um, did the, things change for you as far as what you're responsible for or did you did you have your lane and did you stay in it and did you lean on them to do the other stuff yeah i mean i've been business partners with these guys now for a little over seven years and i've known well i've known them for a long time but um worked for matt 
for like nine, nine or so business partners for seven. So I've been learning as we go a lot, right? So like what I'm responsible for in my lane has gotten wider and wider and wider. But at that time, the focus was food vision, cost controls, you know, kitchen procurement, like the design and the setup of the kitchen. Like that was, that was kind of fun getting to actually like, you know, oh, we're going to buy new equipment. Where does it need to go on the line, et cetera. Um, hiring, uh, building the teams, all that kind of stuff. So like what you'd expect a, like a chef to do, that was my lane. And absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I have so much respect for people that can do it on their own, like doing everything that comes those are business. (laughs) It's ridiculous. (laughs) Right. And so like, I think that's why you see a lot of attrition in the industry is because people who are really good at this maybe are not quite as good at yeah. the business side or whatever those things are. So having someone like Matt or like Nate or even like Doug has so much industry knowledge. I mean, it's, it's, hard, it's, hard to, it's hard to even like put a value to that, right? And that, that I would say is one of the, the main reasons for our success and for our continued growth. But there's something to be said about people who you can choose to look at everyone else in your community as competition, or you can recognize what you're good at and appreciate what they're good at and say, why don't we work together on some of these things? Why don't we stay in our lanes, come together, join forces and go further and be untouchable? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's what I've seen. I've definitely seen this trend. I first really started to notice it in Richmond and it seemed like every restaurant tour was in bed with each other figuratively, you know, Uh, you know, business partner, polyamory, essentially out there. Like it's a tangled web. That's for sure. But that's good. I mean, I think we need to remember that we're meant to be tribal. We're meant to have a a, a team, a group of people to go together and you don't have to do everything. You can just figure out what you're really good at and do it for a lot of different outlets. Sure. Right. And I, and I love that business model. It comes with its pros and cons. I'm listing a lot of the pros right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you can stay in your lane. You can lean on the support of other people. But what are the cons? What are the challenges? I mean, the cons are always when there's that many people involved in the decision-making process. That can be challenging. I, I've been really fortunate that our team works together really well. Not to say that we don't disagree. We certainly do. But we know how to disagree, right? Yeah. And we also... How do you disagree? I mean... So we could get into this too, but one of the things that we talk about all the time, that's one of our like really core values is practicing candor, right? Mm-hmm. And so candor just means like being really open and honest with communication, mm-hmm. right? And and so what that allows us to do is not leave things unsaid. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're always going to win, but if you don't say it and then you have some sort of resentment or grudge built up, I mean, that, that over time can really show itself in a lot of, a lot of ways that, that are really detrimental to to business and friendships in general. So I mean, we're all, we're all actually really good friends, which I know some people say don't mix the two. It's, 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 but it can work really well. I don't just, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I think um, as long as you practice you know, good social, emotional intelligence and you're yeah. a good person yeah. and you respect each other, um, a lot of the times you hear don't go into business with friends, either you don't have a good friend or you don't have a good business partner and it ruins the friendship for right? sure. Um, but if you are a good person and you do have that emotional intelligence and that candor and you can communicate, mm-hmm. and we're all headed to the same place. We, we all have the same vision. We all know our lane. Why can't you like, no. like, like you, I think you alluded to this earlier. Like yeah. why, why can't you blend the work life balance and just have like your life's work? You yeah, know? I would I would agree that I, it's maybe a misnomer. I mean, I think when when done properly, yeah, I think it makes it better for everything because then everybody wins. Then mm-hmm. your friends are winning with you, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's like you don't always win uh, win an argument, right? Um, but you we disagree respectfully, and if I get outvoted, right, as a partner, 
then I lick my wounds and you know what? We walk out of that room and that was my idea. Mm-hmm. Every bit is it's like, that's how it's got to be. Yeah. Because when, when someone else doesn't get their way, if they go in and they, you know, are pouting about it or sa- self-sabotaging, yeah. like, like that's, that's not how a partnership works. Yeah. So we've, we've just been really lucky. I've been really lucky again to surround myself with not only good business people, but just good people. Yeah. And that's the key. Like, uh, absolutely. And I would say that the key to that is also being a good person. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you sure. know, like birds of the same feather fly together if you yeah. want to be great. And that's why I put so much emphasis on not the restaurants, but the people behind the restaurants, because the greatness in this industry, in my opinion, starts with becoming a great person, you know, and that's why we focus on values and ethics and yep. story. So we can paint that picture yeah. of what is possible, what good greatness looks like. And man, you're, you're, you're painting a great picture oh, for us. Thanks, really, I'm really loving the conversation. Yeah, so um, what are the other elements of this partner, these partnerships, the things you do relative to business that help you keep the glue tight? I mean, one of the things that I think we've done really, really well is, is continuing to widen our circle, right? So as we find key talent, as we find really, really amazing people who you know, are maybe fledgling in their career, maybe change a career. It doesn't matter. Right. We, we do a really good job of like bringing them into the fold, giving them opportunities, pushing them, promoting their growth, letting them figure out what they're really good in and what they love and then just doing it. Right. Like, like, like Matt Swift had a vision for a brewery. He's not a brewer. I, I, I don't think he knows how to brew. I mean, I know, I know conceptually he knows how to brew, but he would not make beer and he, <laughs> right. But we found, an amazing brewer who, who, uh, you know, now he's completely empowered to, we provide guardrails, right? And however they get down there, it's up to them. They can choose the path, they can chart the course, but we're going the place together. Right. So, so I think we've been really great about, um, finding those people, whether they're in the kitchen or the front of house and like really empowering them, not just like saying, Oh, you're empowered to no, you are actually allowed to make decisions and, and, and if you go awry or you go outside of what we would consider like the right lane, we'll have a conversation, you know, behind closed doors. And then it's a coaching moment, right? Like that's, that's what it's about. And the more we do that and the more we kind of, I mean, we kind of have to beat that into people's heads a little bit because it, it sounds too good to be true, right? People still want to think of things as like a hierarchy, right? Like, Oh, he's above me, or like I'm below him, or, or well, I whatever. think um, like having a hierarchy is important for channel of communication, chain of command. Yeah, right. And like you need to know who your direct reports are. Sure, but it's it's like, but at the same time, like no one person in this team is more important than the other. Right. But there needs like I think people like the I don't know like I, I've heard that idea of like you want to you do want to flatten the hierarchy. I th- mm-hmm. I believe, but at the same time, I think it's important to to know that there is a channel of communication, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, There's a support system for yeah, sure. Yeah. As we, we tend to flip that the hierarchy upside down. It's how the yeah. Japanese do it, right? Where yep. so the CEO is like on the bottom yeah. and then everybody, like whoever's closest to the work is up at the top. Yes. Um, it's just like, we're here to support. Like my job as a leader is not to, to write your menu or to, to staff your kitchen, but it's to, to support you and yes. to remove barriers. And when you have those issues, like I can, you can bounce ideas off. You can share my network. Those are the things that I do, which are very, very far removed from what I ever thought I would be doing as a chef to be totally transparent yeah (laughs) and i mean to kind of echo what you were saying earlier you said giving them opportunities pushing the growth helping them find their lane so again thinking like like flipping that that hierarchy 180 degrees where the 
the bottom serves everybody above them. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing. You're giving them opportunities and serve. Like, this is the service that you're providing the yeah. opportunities, the person, the pushing them to grow, helping them find their lanes and, and cr- literally in doing that creating ch- like the, the, the framing for growth within your organization and like literally write, writing that out and like helping visualize like why join us? What's your goal? What's your mission? Like where your person, like how can we help be a part of that? That's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. And it's something that we've kind of slowly figured out and developed over, you know, almost a decade now that we've been doing it. And the more emphasis we put on the growth of our teams, the more success we've had. And how, do you, how do you put more emphasis on that? Like, what does that look like over the years? How has this process of creating growth evolved for you? I mean, for one, we're way more transparent with, with business in general. Um, so, so, and, and it's all like, it depends on where you're at in, in the hierarchy, right? Like, but our upper leaders, if you're a chef running a restaurant, like knowing your food costs is not good enough. Like we'll show you the PNL. We want you to understand business because we want you to be successful at business. We want you to understand what you can do to make this business work. Yeah. And whether you work for us for your, you know, 20 years or whether you go off next year and open your own business, like that's a reflection on how you've grown in our company. If you can go off and do that yourself. Yeah. So, so I mean, some of it's business, some of it's uh, in the kitchen and, and just, you know, letting them have opportunities to try and succeed or fail. So we do things like, um, you know, special project nights where cooks can literally carte blanche, make whatever, and they can use the restaurants, uh, food and, and create dishes and learn with each other and, and explore and critique and stuff like that. Um, we also on like an off night or something like, I mean, it'll be during the normal course of the workflow. Okay. We'll, we'll either put it, I mean, when we first started, it was at the end of the, um, like a shift. Yeah. But people tended to not want to stay the extra hour and I don't blame them. Yeah. So now it's it'll, a long day. Yeah. It'll usually be like three or four o'clock in the afternoon when the restaurant's a little quiet and they obviously they have to get, they either have to do it on their own time outside of like their normal work or they just have to make sure they get the station or whatever their responsibilities are as well. Yeah. Um, we do family meal, so they get to be a chef for the day, and they have to understand the food costs and those kind of things and timeliness and all those. Uh, but then we also do things, uh, we call it CML. It's, uh, it's culture manage lead. It's literally a class that happens um, once a month for a couple hours. And all, anybody who's uh, in a leadership position, and this could be anyone from like a CDC to, to like a, a, a lead cook, or you know our our um, canning manager or anybody that ha- has somebody that directly reports to them, and we'll go over a ton of different topics, a ton of different stuff, and and um, I mean some is something as simple as like how do you have a hard conversation mm. when you have a line cook who shows up uh, twenty minutes late consistently? Like what does that look like? Yeah, I mean everybody knows. Oh, we you give them the warning and then you you write them up and then two strikes or whatever those policies are, but I promise you in practice. That's a really hard thing for someone who's never had to do it. Yeah. So get into it. Give us you, a lesson on that. You, you, so, I mean, we, we would literally have like uh, a, a mock conversation where it's like, you're the guy that, that showed up late. It'd be like, Eric, you're late again. Right. Mm. And I would make this person do this. Like how you, you, you can't get comfortable having that kind of conversation if you've never done it. Mm-hmm. Theory doesn't work. So we literally, literally practice the words like, you know, and we always tie it back to our values. We, we really do like we, 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 we started leaning into core values probably like five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just a mantra on the wall or something that we look at and everyone's like, yeah, whatever. I mean, we, we talk about it in pre-shifts. Yes. We hire, a bit, we hire, we coach, we fire by these things. Yes. So um, the core values are things that we, uh, that we basically 
you know, look at to see how, how do I know that Eric's doing a good job? You're a new cook. You've been here a month. How do I know that you're doing a good job? You know, there's a million different things that we could talk about. It's like, you're good at your station prep. You, you, you cook in accordance with the recipes. You show up on time. We tied all the values. What are your values? So set the tone, which basically means for whatever the, the, for whatever the, you know, whatever's happening, you bring the appropriate tone, right? Yep. That, could, that could be you're having fun in the kitchen. It could be you're really intense. Uh, it's just the appropriate tone for the appropriate time. Um, thirst for improvement, which is kind of self-explanatory. We're always trying to get better. We're always trying to push each other to, to grow. Yep. Um, practice candor, which I already talked about, um, which we want, even if you're a brand new employee, if you see something happening in the business that you think could be done better, we want to know about it. Yeah. And so we talk about it all the time. Cause again, it's really hard to tell your boss. I don't think this is working. Um, so we just, we try to make it as safe as humanly possible for anybody to, to speak up. How do you do that? Talk about it constantly. Talk about it constantly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's all you can do. Yeah. And then highlight examples when someone did it and thank the shit out of them. Pardon my language, but like, no, I've said worse. Don't yeah. Worry about that's, that. <laughs> I mean, that's how you, that's how you do it. You show yeah. them like, it's not just lip service. We really do care about that. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, we care is our fourth one. So that could be anything from, we care about the product that we, you know, we care about our jobs. We care about our equipment. We care about each other. We care about our customers. We want to approach everything with a sense of care. Right. Um, we do that a lot of different ways. Uh, we have, you know, obviously with our customer service, that's number one, right? Like we want to, we want them, we don't want it to be transactional. We want it to be something that they understand they're coming to a place that actually cares about their business. So we, you know, we could go into that whole thing, but, um, but then also our employees, like if you're having a hard time, like where we want to talk about it, we want to make sure that you're good, not just at work, but outside of work. So we got like an employee assistance program. Uh, if you don't want to talk to me, there's lots of resources, um, for mental health, for financial issues, for, for whatever those things are. Right. Um, and then like, there's things like, uh, we had a regular who's like a cousin was in the hospital. So we're sending flowers as a company, like yeah. little things like that. They're like going beyond and we don't obviously hit it all because we can't possibly cover every facet of what's going on around us. But whenever we hear about a story or something that, that, you know, affects our community, we want to, we want to show them that we care. Yeah. So we, we do a lot of stuff with, with the community like that. So I got, we set the tone. We have a thirst for improvement. We practice candor. We care. And then passion driven. Passion driven. We are passion and, driven. And, and, and not in the sense like the overly used cliche, like, oh, you'll never work a day in your life. If you're passionate about something. You'll never work a day. It's like, yeah, passion. We, we want you to show up and like give more, give something, right? Give a part of you. But sometimes that's like, that's sacrifice too, right? It's like passion can also be, sacrifice and what are you willing to sacrifice for yeah and you mentioned something really important that you you, you reference these core values regularly mm-hmm. why is that so important to to bring them to surface them daily i mean it's, i think it's the same thing as like sharing your vision uh, if it just exists over here on on the wall and it never gets talked about then it it's not really real yeah. right and and like culture because it all comes together like all the behaviors the social norms the things that we accept the difference between like like our values and the real culture as it exists on the ground is the behaviors that we're willing to accept. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not just what we say we accept. It's what we really accept. Yeah. Culture is reality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think like if they have a business like, Oh, we haven't, we haven't established, we don't have, have a culture yet. I'm like, no, you do. Yeah. Cause it's, it's omnipresent. Yeah. You know, it's here, but you haven't clarified it. You haven't echoed it. You yeah. haven't, 
you haven't cemented it. Sure. Right. And that's what writing things down does. It doesn't let you, it's a center line. When you start to drift, you can come back center line. And when you work this into habits every day, mm-hmm. pre-meal, pre-shift meetings, mm-hmm. where you say, let's talk about a time today we saw somebody um, express that we care. Mm-hmm. What happened? Tell the story. Yeah. Oh, Johnny walked Mrs. Jones to her car with yeah. the, the extra I mean, beers that she had. You're doing exactly. That's literally yeah. what we talk about. Yeah. And and then and then we celebrate those moments. Exactly. And do it over but and over and over and over echo again. Because yeah. that that that's living it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a I did a whole workshop with Hertz Schultze from the Ritz Carlton. Oh man, love him. Excellence so wins. Amazing. Yeah, dude. His book. Yeah, we covered his book. Yeah. And he goes over the 26 standards of excellence. Uh, and we went over all those. And he they would they would cycle through each standard every day until they got to 26 right and they would go back to one mm-hmm. it's a great book yeah um we're covering so much man i'm really loving the conversation but we haven't even talked we, we started talking about pullman's bar and diner uh we, <laughs> yeah. you've opened uh, a new big grove uh in iowa city which is where we're sitting today yep that's 2017 and you also took over Atlas, which we spoke a little bit about with uh, Jack Piper, mm-hmm. who called you out. Uh, <laughs> love that guy. He was amazing. Yeah. And um, you've also, ocean, uh, op- which, sorry, you, you turned Atlas into St. Birch's Tavern. So in all that's happened, um, am I missing anything? I know that you, you have some projects happening now. That yeah, there's, there's a lot of projects in the works. I mean, the only other couple of things... Um, which I mean, this is what it's about. I don't like to tune the own ho- the own horn, but uh, I'll tune it for you. Like man. right before, yeah. So I, I uh, in 2017, I was one of 30 chefs to watch in the country by Plate Magazine, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Like, uh, and then uh, right after we opened St. Birch, um, I got Iowa Restaurateur of the Year, which yeah. was awesome, also awesome. But again, it's like I, I wasn't even that wasn't even on my radar. Yeah. You know, it was like I, <laughs> I was. Uh, I was on family vacation um, at Clear Lake and I got a phone call, number I didn't recognize, answered it and it was the Iowa Restaurateur Association telling me I had won this award and I was like, it took me a second to process. I thought they were trying to sell me something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so what, what do we need to donate? And it's yeah. like, no, but it was so, I mean, it's, it's a testament to the work that the teams have put in that, you know, me being a part of that, helping like, you know, steer the ship in some ways or like chart the course. Uh, it's, it's been a wild ride. And so, and now with, I mean, again, you talk about like this, the pressure of having to answer to all these places. I mean, my job is about the teams. So it's about putting the right people in the right seats. It's about empowering them. It's about being a platform for them. But when, when done well, it's <laughs> right. When done well, it's, it's not as crazy as you think. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm literally having conversations with awesome people all the time and, and asking them what their issues are and, what they're worried about, what they're excited about, what they're working towards, how do I help? Uh, and that's what it is. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, in this evolution, uh, since Pullman's Bar and Diner, I mean, it was almost that was like eight years ago, going on almost eight years ago. Almost eight. Um, have you grown from this time? Is there Are there any stories you can tell that were pivotal, transformative times for you as a professional? I mean, there's not necessarily one story that, that comes to mind. It's just been like a constant evolution. Um, I've been forced to iterate for sure. I guess that there's probably, there's not one specific moment, but when we find when we opened the tap room and finally I was kind of juggling three spots and I really realized, Oh man, I can't, like, so, I can't do it all. Um, the first, uh, big grove, uh, mm-hmm. Pullman's bar and diner. Yep. And the, the third would have been at this time, the, um, the tap room, the, the tap room. Yep. Which and, is where we are now. In yes. City. Yep. Um, 
So I think you, you as a professional have had to grow because you were used to being the guy in the kitchen. Yeah. Clearly you're not that today because you're sitting here with me. Right. Right. And it's the midday. It's the middle of service right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. So how is that, that transition for you, Ben? How, how, how oh, this is really interesting. Yourself? Yeah. You know, this has been really interesting because this is a process and I talk, I talk about this a lot to, to people who have worked their way almost out of the role that they're currently yeah. in. Um, yeah, when I when I stop being the guy anymore, uh, it's like part part of like my identity yeah. was lost a little bit. Like what I you know is uh, what's the, what's the 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 phrase that I'm it's it's on the tip of my tongue, um, imposter syndrome. Yep. Yeah, went through that big time, big time. I can relate with that, dude. I'm a restaurant yeah. business podcaster who doesn't own a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, you and don't so, think I can so relate with that? you know, as soon as as soon as it got too big, where I couldn't just like jump in and fill in here or work expo on Saturday yeah. night here or yeah. Then, then you really start, I start feeling like I was letting the team down in a yeah. way. And so I went through that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I dealt with that myself. My wife's sick of hearing me. She's like, if you want to go work in the, just go to the restaurant. <laughs> if you're going to feel better, just go in, <laughs> you know, and she, you know, she means it with, but that's the point is that like, yeah. stop beating yourself up over these things. That's not who you need to be anymore. It's not my job anymore. Uh, as long as I'm hiring the right people and I'm like positioning them and putting them in, in a position for success and that that's the role. Um, and then I get to do fun collab dinners and one-off things like we did last night. But, but yeah, man, imposter syndrome was a real thing. And, uh, but I've just kind of coped with that by making sure that I'm like overly communicating with the team. And if they need anything, they need to practice scanner. They need to tell me cause I, I'm not a mind reader, but if you need something, I'll do it. Yeah. I'll be there for you. Yeah. And I'll help you. Uh, I wanted to mention something earlier. You just reminded me, um, practice candor. There's a book out there. It's my company too, by Tom Walter. Uh, mm. amazing. In my opinion, one of the best examples of what it means to create what I think what you're doing when you say practice canter is you're creating an entangled organization where no matter where you fall on the organizational chart, you have the, the right to, to say something, the responsibility, the responsibility. Yeah. That, that's exactly it. You, it's your, it's your responsibility to call out the CEO. If you're the new hired dishwasher, Mm -hmm. if you are looking at the core values and the standards of service and the the expectations, and there's anybody is not doing what they said we are doing, what we're going to, what we're going to do, what we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Everyone's held accountable to hold each other accountable. You know, and I think that's what that's what the idea of it's my company too. Yeah, is like you don't know who the CEO is because everyone is echoing the core values, the mission, the vision every yeah. day. And everybody knows it. Yeah, it's kind of weird when done really well. It can kind of be like cultish, yeah, because right? you just start hearing people. But say that's these, culture, cult, culture. Right, it's, right. Yeah, you know and, what I mean. But that's the point. It's like that's like the special sauce, man. What are, you know, you gotta you gotta drink the Kool Aid to actually like get to do anything that, that yeah. matters. Like yeah. you got to get the team aligned and mm-hmm. that's, that's what it, that's what it takes. What was it like taking a super well-respected restaurant like Atlas, uh, yeah. in taking control or ownership of it, um, and then changing the brand? What was, what was that like? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Yeah. So the, the, and you already talked about it with Jack Piper mm-hmm. who ran Atlas for, I want to say 17 years, mm-hmm. 17, maybe 18 they years. They opened in 2000, I think. And it was, a, it was it a really long and it was one of the, the most successful, like, uh, most respected restaurants. Um, and it's on the, the, the permanent corner of downtown Iowa city. It looks up the, the pet to the Pentecrest, the old capital It's beautiful, awesome patio. And so we, when we were offered the opportunity to take, take over, um, you know, we, we initially didn't want to rebrand it. We, we thought we just breathed some new life into it. Just some, some fresh eyes, some fresh energy, some updates. 
Uh, and we ran it like that. I want to say for probably 18 months, maybe two, maybe almost two years. And I mean, I think the reality of it was that try as we might, we weren't, we weren't moving the needle. Right. And it was, it was getting by, but it wasn't doing what we wanted. And it, it also wasn't our vision, yeah. you know, is is the reality. It kind of came back to this, like we're running a restaurant that's the ideas and inspiration from somebody who's no longer working there. And yeah. as, as great as it was, and as much as you want to respect that, you got to respect and be true to, to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did make the hard decision to rebrand it. And, uh, it was, it was probably the best decision we made. Yeah. Only, the timing wasn't so good cause it was kind of right before COVID hit. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, we kind of rebranded it into this, like it's a lot of what we do is juxtapositions, right? So it's like this kind of taverny feel, but it's kind of like the highs and lows, right? There's like an elegance to it and, and less of the rough around the edges, like supper club kind of vibe. And then in a lot of taverns, a lot of supper clubs, you'll have like the fish fry Friday or there's like a seafood component. And I remember we were in Chicago and I, I, I don't remember what restaurant we were in, but they had a, they had a oyster bar and we were just, you know, probably had a couple cocktails and we we're like, how awesome would it be if we just like threw an oyster bar in there too? Right. And it was like, that's either the dumbest thing we've ever thought of. <laughs> or but you, you use the word that's really powerful uh, if you understand how to use it, juxtaposition. Yeah. Not use the word, but to actually use juxtaposition in your business. What is juxtaposition? Yeah. So it's like, it's like two contrasting ideas that, that play off of one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this case, the juxtaposition would be kind of the, the high and low of, of like what you consider like a tavern. So we have the, the upstairs and a downstairs. The downstairs is called the den and it's kind of this like really kind of dark, a lot of wood, a lot like neon, like really just kind of homey fun vibe. And then upstairs is like light and bright and elegant. And there's like these really cool hand blown uh, glass um, uh, light fixtures and it's just, they play off of one that you wouldn't even think that they're the same business mm-hmm. when you go from upstairs to downstairs. And then similarly, we have like a, you know, like fried cheese curds or a tenderloin sandwich. And then you can also get oysters or mm-hmm. like a, you know, you know, a, a whole fish filet, like fresh caught with, with olive oil and lemon and all this. So it's like the high and the low is yeah. kind of what we've done with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, uh, Peter Lazar, who uh, wrote the book Restaurant Strong, um, does a really great job of explaining just position, just just a position, and it's really this idea of just you're explaining it perfectly. It's just like it's it's what you wouldn't expect because mm-hmm. our mind is we we try to see patterns, we try to streamline things. So when something pops out and sure. doesn't doesn't belong there, you're forced to do, do a double check, and and it's it's the same reason why Jack Piper put a silo in the middle of a urbanish area you know like he built a barn in a silo in yeah. the middle of an urban like an urbanish area because like you're not expecting to see that so you're it's just a, it's just a position you're, you're forced to look twice and be like, what's that yeah sure you know and i think that's a very powerful tool you can use to create experience and to, and to create space and to like you're literally transporting people between the upstairs and the downstairs yeah you're only going a few feet absolutely yeah it's powerful yeah and like you said it's it's all about creating an experience yeah. and i'd rather create an experience that maybe isn't for everybody, but it makes everybody remember it. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. And that, that should be, I mean, you're not going to, you know, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to like what you do. Yeah. But it's okay. Yeah. That's, that's good. (laughs) That's a good thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've talked about a lot today. I kind of want to talk, spend the rest of our time in this free flowing portion of the conversation talking about the industry now where it is and where you think it should be. Sure. Um, what's, 
And uh, I'm trying to get away from saying, I think the industry has come a long way, uh, but I think there's still a long way we can go to make this industry better. So what do you think is wrong with the industry or could be, we could do better to kind of help inject a little bit more integrity into what we do. So we're kind of looked at with a little bit more respect from the rest of the world, you know, the other industries. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and this is a really tough question. This yeah. is one, right? We had, nobody's found the, the exact magic bullet, but I mean, I, th- I think for, for me having, having restaurants that, that have career paths for people that have opportunities to make it a career, it's, mm-hmm. it's a really challenging industry in general. And then when you layer on the fact that, uh, wages are often not in, in line with, uh, with other industries and, and benefits are not in line and continuing education and childcare opportunities, things like that. Right. All these things, it, it, we've created this system where, you know, it, it is kind of a cyclical thing. You have, you have line cooks for a year and that's like, that's expected. Yeah. Like, well, I don't want that. I want, I want a 20 year employee, you know, and, and that's what we're trying to, trying to move towards. And it, it, it does take capital. Like we have people on staff that are paid to, to do continuing education and to really, you know, they're like culture, culture representatives to try to make that real and not just something we talk about, Mm -hmm. but it is really challenging. Um, I wish that more restaurants, uh, realize that their, their, their biggest investment should be in their people. Yeah. And because they're going to make the success of the company. That's also the, one of the big, if not the biggest expense. Right. Absolutely. So what has to change in order for us to execute this, to, to be able to have the means to create opportunity for people? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think societal changes too. We have to be okay. We have to put our money where our mouth is. How do you do that? What do you mean? Well, I, I hear people talk out of both sides of their mouth at times and they say like, I wish that we, you know, bought more local or organic or vegetarian or whatever. And then you you see those offerings and then you're upset that it's costs what it costs. Right. Yeah. So the price of food, I think is, uh, you can get food really cheap. Yeah. America has done, an, ama- done an amazing job of making calories extremely cheap. Yeah. Um, and it's a commodity. Food is, is seen as a commodity now, I think, which is, I don't know. Yeah. Am I putting words in your mouth? No, no, that's exactly right. And, and, and it's also cultural too. It's like people and not everybody, right. This is all, uh, but, but, Certain certain uh, types of food, like Mexican cuisine, for example, people are like, "Oh, it's cheap." Well, why is it cheap? Why should a taco not not cost as much as a hamburger? Yeah, right. I mean, if you're getting quality ingredient, and it should, but then if you charge five, six, seven bucks for a taco, yeah, like, people are like, "That's a ripoff." I mean, I, I, part of and I agree with everything you're saying. And the words I like to use to explain this is, I think we we have diluted the the value of food. Yeah. through commodity and through trying to create the sense of value and how can we get food to as many people for as little as possible was the goal for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And we're just finally now the, the, the bad stuff, you know, like the, 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 the detriment of that we're, we're, we're living, we're experiencing the downside of that, which is we all feel like shit. Yeah. Uh, our economy, our food system is centralized. It's a, it's we're destroying crisis. the economy or the, the ecosystem. Like there are like nothing's for free, you know, like, right. like it all bounces out some way, somehow. And we're just starting to see the negative side of all this commodity and all this, uh, convenience. Right. Yep. Food, people used to spend over, I want to say right around 20% or over 20% of their, their income on food. Now it's less than 10%. Wow. You know, so like we just, we, I think over time we, it's the, we just kind of acclimated to like this perception of what the cost, the value of food is. Mm-hmm. 
because we're just trying to make it convenient, I think what what has to happen is we need to re, you know educate people. Like this is what real food is, right? And this is what it costs. Yeah. We can't give it to you without charging you appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually reading this book right now. It's called The Next uh, Supper, and it's all about what it's all about educating the consumer. And like, it's really comes. I've, do you think it comes down to the consumer changing values? I should ask you that question. I mean, I, 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 I think it, the onus is not entirely on the consumer, but I, but I do think that they share some culpability. I mean, it's yeah. So who is it on <laughs> other than the consumer? I mean, I think it's part on, on the, the restaurants and the industry in general to yeah. provide some of that. Yeah. Um, and also to probably change some of the way, you know, I, I don't have all the answers, but, but I know what we've done and, and as we've invested more money in people, yeah, it's like you're afraid to make that investment because you want to make sure you can pay your bills. Yeah, but we've we've personally found that that it pays off in the back end, right? Because yeah. you have more retention, you have better trained employees, you have happier happier employees. Um, you have, I mean, they and they take care of the customer, right? Yeah. So, so part of it is just telling that story and sharing it with as many people as possible and letting them know, like. Hey, this has been the best thing. When everyone's talking about how hard it is to keep good people and get good people, like I don't want to be like, well, that's not my problem. Like it certainly is, mm-hmm. but here's what we've done to combat that, and here's what we've seen really good success doing. And maybe you will too. And mm-hmm. the more people that start to get it and stop using employees as like a, you know, the the revolving door, yeah, uh, and and being okay with that, like I. I think, I think it's, I think that there's definitely some responsibility yeah. on, on industry as well. So, uh, our mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Uh, so on that note of transformation, you kind of told us how you want to see the industry transform with, you know, basically educating people and, and letting people know the cost of doing business. Right. Mm. Uh, and that it's expensive to do, to take care of your people and that we need to charge appropriately. It's kind of the center of what I got from that conversation. Uh, but what about you personally? How have you transformed over the years? Who are you today versus the chef you were back in like the early 2000s? Yeah, I kind of started alluding to this is just I'm, I'm way more excited about seeing growth in others. Like yeah. I get a lot more satisfaction in helping, you know, a sous chef take on that first challenge as chef or, or seeing a, you know, a dishwasher become a line cook. Like I never probably gave it as much credit as, as was due. And now that's basically my role. Like that's where my satisfaction comes from is like seeing someone really like when the light bulb goes on, right. And you can see when someone kind of buys in and helping them in that process and just being there and letting them like celebrating them when they have success. Yeah. Like I love when, you know, we, we talk about our executive chef, Sean Towley in his dinner. It's like, it doesn't need to have my name on it. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't. And in fact it shouldn't. Yeah. Right. So, um, that's, that's cool. And cause that, someone did that for me, right? Yeah. Someone put me on and gave me an opportunity and put my name front and center before their own. And now I want to pay it forward. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, being seen is the third most important thing behind just food and shelter, um, security, and then being seen, being recognized. Yeah. It's so powerful. It's, it's huge. I've loved this conversation, Ben. Uh, we're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we're going to bust out a true speed round. 
Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using Play IQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Play IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with Play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now, I've told you what's new with Plate IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Plate IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Plate IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check, ACH, or Play IQ card. Also with Play IQ Bill Pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ Insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to, no more duplications of efforts, and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy, and you've been hearing me talk about Diageo Bar Academy on my podcast for some time now. Uh, Diageo Bar Academy is a totally free resource for bartenders, bar managers, and those in the hospitality industry. Today, I want to tell you about some of these amazing new e-learning courses they have available right now. And again, a reminder, Diageo Bar Academy is always free with tons of resources that help you build your skills at your own pace and at any level. So back to these courses, like the two courses on beer category and Guinness Essentials, just in time for St. Patrick's Day too. You'll learn all there is to know about Guinness history and heritage and how you can serve a beautiful, great quality, great tasting pint every time. Learn about different beer styles and even how to enhance your guest food experience with pairings. Or if your restaurant's more geared towards the booze, if you want to learn more about balancing flavors with spirits and food pairings, take the interactive course Spirits and Food Pairings. Knowing what cocktails to recommend for different moments of your guest meal can elevate the dining experience and help your check average. Diageo Bar Academy online courses offer real life skills to help you grow in your career. They are always free, interactive, and each e-learning course takes less than 30 minutes. And you receive a certificate upon completion, which you can view on your profile at any time. To learn more about what Diageo Bar Academy has to offer to grow your career, visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and be sure to opt into the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. 
We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I'd have to say discipline. Mm. What is your biggest weakness? Organization. (laughs) (laughs) What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? Uh, I want to know their connection to food. Okay. Uh, What are you looking for for an answer? I want to know that they have one and it's, it's deeper than just, I need this job. Okay. What is one of your biggest challenges today? Um, all the moving parts. Yeah. How are you overcoming it? Uh, yeah. Del- delegation. How do you keep let, track let, of all the moving go. parts? <laughs> Organization, which is the weakness. <laughs> <laughs> well, how have, you, yeah. how have you made strides in a better uh, organizational or organized life? I mean, yeah, again, it comes down to people because I'm not organized in the sense that I have my spreadsheet. I I have people and I empower and then I, I hold them accountable. Like, yeah, it's relationships. Yeah. And you're, you're kind of reminding me of the e-myth right now. And he talks about, there's like three different types of people. Uh, There's the entrepreneur, there's the technician and there's the manager. It's okay to be the entrepreneur or the technician, the person who's the visionary and the, the, who's good at doing the thing. A lot of us need managers, and it's okay to need managers who are organized, who who keep you in place and your in your things in place. Oh, I have plenty of people who work for me who are way <laughs> yeah. more organized and better at what they do. So than it's, I am. it's okay. I think it's okay to recognize what you're not good at. Yeah, as long as you find people to surround yourself with who are, are who can you know support you in those areas. Yes. Uh, what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? A way to be, a way to act. It's a core value. We covered all of them today already. But yeah, sure. That goal one. Uh, I'll give you one little mantra. It's it's cut cut the tape. Cut the tape. Yeah, I, uh, that's from uh, our good friend uh, from the French Laundry, it's a Thomas Keller. He's not yeah. really a friend, but maybe if I keep on calling him, on, he might. Really <laughs> show. Uh, yeah. What does that mean? Uh, to me, it's just the little attention to detail. It's that it's willing to go that little extra effort to to do it right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want to tell the story of what it means to actually cut the tape? Yeah, I mean, it literally means cutting that we have blue painters tape and we we label our, all of our ingredients and date it and everything. And then rather than just tearing it, we cut it with scissors. So it's 90 degrees. Yeah. And it looks nice. And if you go to our walk in, everything's just really pristine. Yeah. And organized. I, and, I think the story of the French laundry goes, they always used to just rip the tape, rip the tape, rip the tape. One day, like a new, like person who was on the team came over, took scissors and they cut the tape and they were like, why'd you cut the tape? And they're like, well, it looks better. And yeah. that became the new standard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 1% better. Yeah, exactly. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is a way to go above and beyond uh, to serve the guest. It's something that's not expected, but you do it and nobody else does it. Oh, and interesting. In service to the guest. Uh, we really push our, our um, back house team to go table touch. Mm. So we, we like to really get our chefs and cooks into the kitchen talking. To the, and you don't see that as much in, in our industry. I love it. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Easy. Culture Code. By Culture Dan- Code. Daniel Pink. Yes, that is a great Daniel Coyle. Book. Is it Coyle? Daniel Pink. Oh, Daniel Dan Pink. Pink. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think, well, I think it's Dan Pink. I know he's, he's written a bunch of other stuff. Is it Dan Pink? I'll, we'll, we'll fact check that. Um, we'll let you know. Just check the show notes. We'll get the, we'll get the right book over there. Uh, what's the biggest lesson from that book? <sighs> creating, creating a culture of safety and vulnerability. Like, I mean, that's, it's it's all about making people feel safe and supported in your in your uh, in your business. I just looked at the book Culture Code. I'm thinking it might actually be from it's Daniel. It's Danielle Cole Cole Coyle, right. Coyle Coyle yeah. Coyle. Yep. C O Y L E. I've read that book. It's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. Uh, what is one service you've hired or outsourced? 
Sure. Um, so we, Bergen KDV, we have a, like a, a business, I mean, it's, it's like a business coach basically. As we started to scale our business, um, we realized that we knew nothing about manufacturing and creating a giant brewery. And so we, we actually outsourced some of the business strategy uh, to come and lead our lead our conversations with our team and name this company one more time. It's Bergen KDV. They're a bunch of business solutions. They do CP, they have CPAs and they have uh, strategic coaching and all sorts of stuff like that. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, look out, guys! I might be getting you on the show soon. <laughs> we can do a workshop. Uh, and I actually accidentally skipped a question. What is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Well enough or often enough? that I would just say. Uh, like leading, like training their people, like putting extra time and energy into professional development for their teams. Yeah. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've recently adopted within all of your restaurants or one restaurant uh, that's having a huge impact on communications, profitability, marketing, anything along those lines? Yeah. So we've, we've kind of slowly adopted toast and their, their, uh, KDS screens and then the handheld capabilities. And that's, that's kind of a game changer in terms of efficiency. Yeah. Um, I saw the KDS when we walked in, it's front and center right there through your window. How has that affected your bottom line? How has that improved everything? I mean, for my mental health, it's improved everything. Um, <laughs> I, it, it's hard to put an ROI on that. I, I do know that, uh, as soon as I stopped having to like juggle tickets, everything just became so much streamlined. So, f- I mean, even things that you can't, quantify like just the the product quality itself goes up because i spend more time looking at and focusing on the food yeah yeah what about waste uh less less waste less misfires less miss rings yeah i mean yeah, yeah i would say Beautiful. definitely lowered waste and uh, what about the handhelds just efficiency uh no and, more and bottlenecks <laughs> yeah 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 and you don't never have uh you know a server who takes their entire section order and goes back and puts it all in at one one yeah, time right yeah so, yeah, so the waves are a little bit less. You're not getting flat sat periodically, or what, what feels like a flat sat to the kitchen, at least. Yeah, sure. Uh, and what about the the argument that people say, like they don't like the idea of the server looking at a screen? It feels impersonal and not intimate to be looking at a screen. Do, how do you feel about yeah, that? I, I mean, I, I I agree with them, but then you just gotta train your people better. Like, yeah, look at the. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's still hospitality. So, well, what's so. the difference between writing something down and looking at at a piece of paper and while you write? Yeah, you know, I feel like it's the same. I think it's because it's technology that it feels. Because what happens when you're talking to somebody and they do this and they're looking at their phone and like, are you even listening to me? Right. And I feel I always I did that earlier so I could look up the the name of that book, The Next Supper. I couldn't remember what it was called. I knew we were going to mention it. Sure. So that's why I was looking at my phone. By the yeah, way, no, you no weren't worries. boring. I promise. No, you no worries. No worries. <laughs> no, I think uh, again, it's just hospitality. You just have to train your people well. Yeah. Yeah, and um, Toast is not a sponsor currently. They've been a sponsor in the past, but they are currently an affiliate, and I did not prompt you. I did not tell nope. you to say anything about Toast. Nope. Okay, just making sure everybody knows this is all <laughs> organic. Uh, this is the last question. Are you ready for it? Sure. If you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow, all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Oh, man. Only three things. Yeah. Pretend like you're talking to your kids. Yeah. Um, I mean, surround yourself with people that challenge you. One. Yeah. Uh, find something that's worth sacrificing for. Two. Um, life's fast, man. Slow down and try to enjoy it. Ben, this has been a great conversation, man. Thank you so much. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. Who do you respect and admire who's doing it right right now, who you think needs to be made an example of like you did for us today? Sure. Yeah, that's pretty easy too. Uh, My my good buddy, Kevin Scharf out of Brazen in Dubuque, he's 
he's making a bunch of noise in, in Dubuque. Um, he was a Top Chef contestant. And the thing that's crazy about him is that what what we've kind of been trying to build as a Big Grove team, he's he's doing it, and it's like it's not a one man show, but it's 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 amazing to see what he's been able to do without the same support system. And I just love that guy. And he is so talented and you should definitely go talk to him. Kevin Scharf, look, I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And how can we connect? If we listen to your story today, we're maybe in the Midwest, Iowa, or maybe we're looking to relocate and we're just inspired by what you shared with us. Wouldn't be a part of your team. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you can always get on Instagram. I'm on Instagram at big grove, Ben, all lowercase, all one word. Uh, some beautiful food photos out there. You can check it out. And then, uh, if, if you're looking for, uh, if you're in the area or you want to relocate, you can always email me. It's super simple. Ben at biggrove.com. All right. Beautiful. And this is episode 898. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 898. We'll have a summary of today's discussion as well, how, as well as how to connect with Ben if you're interested all over there in the show notes. And uh, I just can't say it enough. Thank you so much, Ben. There is no questioning, man. You are unstoppable. Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Chef Ben Smart. Great advice today on just radical candor. And I love that they're using the entrepreneurial operating system, how important it is that everyone uses the same language. Uh, Man, this stuff is great. I'm really interested in actually going deeper into the EOS. What there's a book out there. What the heck is EOS? And you know, we've, we've talked about traction in the past, so there might be an opportunity there. Um, awesome stuff. So, if you guys enjoyed today's episode and you want more of like it, please support this podcast. You can support this podcast by supporting our sponsors, using our affiliate links, sharing this podcast. In coming to hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network, where we're having a lot of the follow-up conversations, these lectures and these workshops, uh, all happening over at Restaurant Unstoppable Network. I'd love to have you be a part of it. And uh, this week in the network, Tuesday, tomorrow, June 14th at 11.30 a.m., the author of The Next Supper, Corey Mintz, is coming on the show. I ask a lot of my guests, you know, what's... What do you think is wrong with the industry and how can we fix it? What are you doing to fix it? Corey's book, The Next Supper, dives into a lot of what is broken with the industry and what the consumer can do to kind of uh, you know fix it. So this is something that is near and dear to my heart. And I, I, I hopeful, I'm hopeful that by getting Corey on the show, we can kind of educate you guys, too, as to what you can do to educate your consumer. So that's going to be at 1130 a.m. Eastern tomorrow, June 14th. And then later in the day, Abhinav Kapoor, the founder and CEO of Bicky, is coming to do a Q&A with you guys if you're interested in Bicky. This is actually like the third time we've tried to schedule this Q&A, so we're finally going to make it happen. I'm hopeful for this time, and I would love to have you guys come join us. And then lastly, before we say goodbye, I just want to say a special thanks to SavAndSam.com for traveling with me on the road, helping me capture helping me capture all this great content. And we can't forget Jared at Sumadre podcast, uh, the man behind the scenes doing tons of editing. Uh, again, uh, I am nothing without my team. Thank you guys so much. All right. That's it for today. Until next time. Peace out.